Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker Smallman and Danny Mac minus Michelle Smallman this morning. It's Randy and Dan for the next couple of mornings here on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Daniel McLaughlin, good morning. Hey, Randall Carriker, good morning to you. A lot of fun stuff going on later in the show. We're going to talk to John Kelly about the Blues who play tonight against the Colorado Avalanche at Enterprise Center. Jeremy Rutherford is also going to join us. And more news on the St. Louis lawsuit against Stan Kroenke in the NFL. Uh, attorney Dan Wallach will join us in the 9 o'clock hour. Just a and few things that came out of yeah, that yesterday. Yeah, it's great. And we're going to touch on that here and then at the bottom of the hour as well. Looking forward to that. While you were sleeping, the Houston Astros evened the 2021 World Series with a 7-2 win over the Atlanta Braves. Atlanta winning game one, 6-2. Houston winning game two, 7-2. to the Astros scoring a run in the first inning on a little small ball, Danny. It was Jose Altuve with a double. Uh, Brantley flied out to center to move Altuve to third. Then a sack fly by Bregman, and it was one nothing. And that's kind of the way it went for Houston offensively last no night. No doubt. It was like nickel and diamond him to death. And uh, just little, little bleeder here, little bleeder there, beat a shift. And then all of a sudden, um, it looked like Houston was in control. And I thought the key at bat in the game, I was not sleeping, Randall. And I'm so shocked that you were. Oh, I was. No, I'm just saying that that's what they do oh. on Good Morning America. Okay. While you were sleeping. So I was trying to be George Stephanopoulos. I understand now. Thank you for getting me up to speed. You got it. But the uh, the bat by Surrey, he got down the line in 32 feet per second. I mean, that that's flying. Yeah. And so that's elite speed. That's NFL wide receiver speed. And he got down the line and he was one for four with three strikeouts. But I thought that was the key play in the game. It was huge. Uh, Travis Arno hit a homer in the bottom of the first inning. It's a 1-1 game, as Dan mentioned, heading to the bottom of the second. A couple of one-out singles, and Siri reaches on the infield hit to score Kyle Tucker. And then Martin Maldonado stepped to the plate. Left side, base hit. Here comes Gurriel. He'll score. Going to third with nobody there is Siri. He pops up, comes to the plate. Two-run score. That is Whitey Ball right there. Love it, huh? Yeah, they they got another one later on, an RBI single by Michael Brantley. Uh, They scored on a fielder's choice later on in the game, won it by a score of 7-2 to to even the series. And, oh, by the way, it's not just the speed, it's the pitching 
defense and speed and a great job by Jose Urquidy. Five strong innings. He allowed two runs on six hits, struck out seven and didn't walk a batter. Uh, You hit the key for me looking forward in this series game three. And if I'm the Atlanta Braves, I'm a little concerned right now because I've lost Charlie Morton with the fractured leg. And then Max Freed was kind of my guy in this offseason or this uh, postseason. He's been pretty good and wasn't able to get deep into the game. Not to say that many guys are going deep into games. However, they're facing now a situation. Do you want to bring back a starter, Randy, or do you say, are we going to go with an uh, opener? Is it Jesse Chavez? They've got four guys that they like in their bullpen. Mm -hmm. But then outside of that, it's kind of the underbelly of their bullpen. Right. So do you want to do an opener? And that's when things can get really sticky and a messy for teams looking in that game and then moving forward. And you had a great stat yesterday that more than half of all the starters so far in these playoffs haven't gone yes. five innings. And one of the reasons that I think the Morton injury is so big is because they probably start him in game five. And then, as we've seen with Morton in the past, he's available out of the bullpen in game six or exactly. seven. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, don't have that exact stat in front of me, but it was also about the openers, yeah. not just the normal guys that you would have as starters, but the openers too, not going very deep. So you can look at it and say, okay, we need to have an opener. We need to do this and we need to do that. And and the Dodgers, I think, are, are very good proof of, yeah, sometimes it works and a lot of times it, it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, then the rest of your bullpen is spent. Mm-hmm. It really does have a residual effect. And that's why in the regular season, it's imperative to have starters give you innings because yeah. it just tears up your bullpen, not only for that night, but then the next day and the day after that and so on and so forth. Going off the beaten path here two years ago in the truncated season when Wainwright threw that complete game on his birthday. You may recall Daniel Ponce de Leon went like a third or two thirds of an inning on a Friday. They went extra innings then on Saturday and Wainwright saved the team by going the distance. So there is something to guys going. It's not just so easy to say, well, he'll give me three and then this guy gives me two and then this guy gives me three and we go to our closer. No, it doesn't work that way. I wonder if next, and Dan Schulman brought this up with you and BK yesterday. I wonder if next year, coming off of a 162-game season, if we kind of get the starting pitcher back. I get coming off of a 60-game season, going to 162, a lot of the guys not being able to give you innings. I wonder if it becomes more of the norm that we have. And I know baseball's changing and changed. But... I have to believe that more teams will want to get more innings out of their starters in 2022. Absolutely. I, I'm totally with you. Or do you carry kind of that long man again? The long man is a forgotten piece of a team. Um, the Cardinals really haven't had a long man in a long time. Lack of a better word. But, they're, the, the, you know, you always had that guy in the bullpen yeah. that would cover you if your starter didn't go deep. And there's just not the traditional long man no, anymore. Brad Thompson was that guy, right? The seven yeah. up, seven down guy. I was trying to think. Um, the last guy, I guarantee you'll remember, it was under Mike Matheny. He was uh, very bright. He was involved in the Players Association. Um, I want to say he was from the Dominican. He was bilingual. He was great. Um, Former Cub, right? Yes. Yes. Come on. We got to come up with this. We will before the show is over. We will. But he was the last long man I can remember for the Cardinals. He had a great year, like in 2013 or something. Like an all-star year. Um, I wonder, though, with, with I would assume that rosters are going to be adding another player next year, not only DH, but maybe even expanding more with a new CBA Mm -hmm. that 
teams would look at that. That's something to think about. I'm going to take a quick look here. As we tell you, as you know, that the Blues are going to miss... Ryan O'Reilly for at least the next four games because of a COVID diagnosis. And yesterday in practice, Craig Berube put David Perron on line with Braden Chen. We know that Perron has great chemistry with Ryan O'Reilly. Coach, why this decision? They played together last year and um, and probably the year before that at times too. So that was always one of the switches that I made um, movement. Say I took uh, Perron from O'Reilly. I put him with Shen all the time. Um, so they do have familiarity with each other. And, um, you know, they're going to have to, you know, do a good job. They're going to, they're probably going to be playing against uh, McKinnon's line, uh, you know, quite a bit as other lines will too. But, you know, that line's got to be good. They're going to have to be real good for us. I I know I should be really worried. Carlos Villanueva, by the way. There you go. There you go. Thank you. I am not worried. I think the Blues will be able to get through these next four games. My bigger concern is how long is Ryan O'Reilly going to take before he's effective again? But for a four-game stretch, you're going to lose guys for a four-game stretch, and that's why you have depth and the Blues have a ton of depth. Well, they do have a ton of depth. I mean, you think about uh, really that top line now is missing two pieces. Saad was on the top line with uh, Perron and O'Reilly. So you got Shen, Perron, I would assume Clem Costin would move up. You're going to see on the fourth line now another new face. Not new in terms of what we've seen, but he will make his debut, season debut tonight. That'll be Dakota uh, Joshua. The Avalanche are an interesting group right now, Randy. This is a team that comes in. They're 2-4-0. And now when the Blues beat them on opening night, that was without Nathan McKinnon. That was without Landis Gog. So those two, uh, we would have to assume, are in the lineup tonight. Their power play is 29th in the NHL. 29th. Inexcusable. Yeah. And so that that's shocking to me. But the Blues are, are playing so well, and uh, it is so much fun. I can't remember a Blues team that's rolling out this many players with skill and speed and some with really good size but the four lines that they're rolling out and I feel like any one of them could strike I mean they are really fun to watch right now here's one other note about the Avalanche who let their goalie Philip Grubauer get away during the offseason and they brought in Darcy Kemper the Coyotes and Blackhawks two pretty bad teams have each allowed 30 goals the Kraken and the Ducks I don't think any of us expect them to go anywhere have each allowed 24 the team with the next fewest goals allowed is Colorado only the Blackhawks Coyotes Kraken and Ducks have allowed more goals than Colorado so far. Yeah, I didn't like that move. I didn't, either. I didn't like it one bit when they decided to to say goodbye to their guy and welcome in uh, who they have now. I, I, Kemper, I, yeah. yeah, I just didn't think it was a good move. And I, you, you bring up something that's really interesting for me. The Blues have scored 25 goals already in five games. They've only given up 11. That's plus 14 in the goal differential in five games. Yeah, That's not 25 games. That's five games. I mean, everything that they're doing right now, which includes their goaltending, which is not getting maybe the attention it should. I thought Huso, it was the best I had seen him play at this level Mm -hmm. the other night. He was awesome. No rebounds, challenging, going out, squaring to the puck. And we're getting that with Bennington, too. And I would assume that he goes tonight and he would go Saturday with the Hawks in town, which is going to be a a madhouse. We haven't seen the Mm Blackhawks in a while. Um, They're just everything is is firing on all cylinders, man. It's fun to watch a 
an explosive story yesterday at ESPN.com from Seth Wickersham, who had incredible detail about an NFL owners meeting in which they discussed the lawsuit St. Louis against the NFL. At one point, and this is the great detail of the story, Roger Goodell told Stan Kroenke to leave the room. How many times in the last 50 years do you think Stan Kroenke has been told to leave a room and done so? And that uh, <laughs> is quite an unusual move and maybe for him a very pride-swallowing mm-hmm. siege. Uh, so he asked him to re- to leave the room, according to the story. That's when Pash, on the NFL side, told the league uh, and the room that the league was notified by Kroenke's attorneys that Kroenke is challenging the indemnification agreement that all three teams involved in the L.A. Derby in 16 Rams, Chargers, and Raiders signed on in the morning of the vote. So basically he's turning on those that uh, some supported, some did not. But basically, these are his owners, his brethren. And he's saying, uh, yeah, he may uh, sue us, is the way I look at it. Um, one of the, the interesting things, Randy, and I, I can't wait to basically interview you about this. So for listeners out there that are very interested in this, and we know there's a bunch of them, Randy's been at the forefront of this. But... Uh, one of the owners came up, spoke, and said that Kroenke's change in position was ridiculous and that if Kroenke had not agreed to indemnify the league, the owners wouldn't have voted for him to move. He said anyone who was in the room in Houston when the vote was taken would know that. How about Un- that? Unbelievable. So Seth Wickersham joined the fast lane yesterday and was asked why the owners are so mad. Well, I, I don't think they like paying for things that they had nothing to do with. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I think that that's it. And obviously, like, you know, every NFL franchise is is privately run. And the only one we, we know any idea about the finances for are the Green Bay Packers. Um, and so, yeah, these owners are not used to being told by legal authorities that they have to submit to discovery and turn over every new couch they've bought or whatever to understand um, so that a potential jury in St. Louis could understand, you know, what potential damages might be. And that's definitely something that these guys are not used to. Get your popcorn ready. Oh, yeah. Popped mine last night. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's really fascinating, and it's great to see that it's getting the attention that it is, and it's great to see, as Mike Florio wrote at Pro Football Talk, the NFL owners on the run. They're talking about this, and when you're talking about settlement, you know that you're going to lose. And uh, the the interesting part about the uh, well, there's so many interesting parts about the uh, Seth Wickersham article, but you're talking about settlement, Randy. So, I, I and correct me if I'm wrong here. He was asked um, or wrote about the fact that Kroenke and his representation were asked to settle. He said yes, and then they started talking numbers, and they said, well, the settlement, is, the, the the quote, the money quote was, the settlement is more than the net worth of some of the people in this room, and. At least what's being asked. Yeah. I have not been given that information. Early on in this process, the league, through an intermediary, offered what was termed to me a laughable settlement. As a matter of fact, I was told, yeah, we laughed and said, let's just move on. It, It was that ridiculous. But Jerry Jones brought up in the billions. No, that has not been offered. Jeff Pash saying to people in the room, 
greater than the net worth of some people in this room. But there were league executives in the room that make $150,000 a year. Well, I wonder, though, when he said that, if it was when they told the team executives to leave. Now, we should point out some of the owners weren't there, so it was their first in command, yeah, so to speak. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So it could have been that. Kroenke used to have Demoff go to meetings. Right. This was obviously a bigger one. One other note, and we're going to talk about this more at the bottom of the hour, but it's my understanding that the miscommunication here or the ultimate civil war between NFL owners is going to come because in the indemnification agreement that was signed on the morning of January 12, 2016, the wording is uh, Kroenke agrees to pay all costs associated with any potential lawsuit. I was told by a veteran contract attorney last night, uh, who I know very well, that when you do an indemnification agreement, you don't stop at costs. You put costs, awards, everything in the kitchen sink. Sure. You, you, you throw that in there. And the word costs is in this agreement. And the league is thinking, well, every cost. That would include awards, legal fees, everything. I.e. if they would lose a lawsuit. Right. And Kroenke is saying, nope, just court costs. That's legal fees. The the $4 billion doesn't apply to me. The $500 billion in legal fees will apply to me, but not the $4 billion in a settlement. So for young attorneys, when you do an indemnification agreement, put in all costs, all awards, all fees, so that everything that could possibly happen is included in this agreement that you make. Randy, could you imagine if you voted against this move, so say you voted to keep the Rams in St. Louis. You voted and, to keep the Rams in St. Louis. And you're sitting there in that meeting yesterday, and all of a sudden you're hearing that it could be billions of dollars and that all of us in this room are on the hook. <laughs> could you imagine? Uh, this is great. You're like, I, I didn't even want this, and now I'm going to pay for it? Right. And think about it. Let's just throw a franchise out there. You're Jimmy Haslam with the Cleveland Browns. You weren't on the relocation committee. You were sitting in the room just kind of going with the flow like owners do. They don't know about stuff like this. They just vote like the other owners do. Now you have to come back five years later and you might be on the hook for 300 million bucks. Oh, maybe even more. Yeah. But But 300 million for something I didn't even have a part of. Right. It's amazing. It is. And it's great. Uh, One final thing in our morning drive here. Yeah. Uh, Javante Perkins Mm -hmm. for the Slew Billikens tore his ACL in his knee, and he's going to miss the season. And that is a huge loss for the Slew Billikens. That's terrible. Young man came back, would have been one of the uh, top players in the conference, and decided to come back because he wanted to put up bigger numbers, see where his stock may go. Uh, He's a pro player. I mean, he's going to play somewhere, uh, somewhere, whether it's you know in Europe or wherever. But he's he's going to make a living out of playing some basketball. So that's a that's a huge loss for uh, St. Louis University. Suffered the injury in the exhibition game against Rockhurst on two nights ago, whatever that was, Tuesday Tuesday. And what a shame, because in addition to being a really good player, he's a really nice young man. He is. Gotten to be around him a little bit. Good kid. Um, And a a massive loss for that team. Now, they they are pretty deep. They're going to be good this year, but that that one hurts for sure. And they do have... 
We mentioned explosive from Seth Wickersham. Physically explosive Terrence Hargrove Jr. Yeah. From East St. Louis. We'll get more of an opportunity now. You want to get out and see the Billikens because this guy can jump out of the gym. It's fun to watch. He's a heck of a player. Yeah. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Sick of it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, time for Sick of It here on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Dan, Randy, and Emily with you. And Dan... Free the New York Mets front office. They have missed out on a couple of more potential general manager slash Pobo candidates. Uh, Derek Gould reporting that Mike Gersh of the Cardinals has turned them down. The Brewers, Matt Arnold, not available to the Mets. The Blue Jays, Mark Shapiro, out of the running. I'm sick of the Mets search for a baseball operations person. Either let Zach Scott do it or bring in Jeff Luno, but end this long national nightmare. Would you think that that is, I guess it's not. I mean, if all these people are turning it down, an attractive job because your owner is worth billions and is already stated our, it would be a disappointment if our team does not win a World Series in the next five years. So you know he's going to spend some money. He's going to let you do it. You're going to have a lot of uh, resources available to you that you wouldn't get in other markets. Isn't that appealing? Right. Even if you have to deal with all the other outside stuff that goes on with it? And especially, I would think now, Dan, that with as much as they've been turned down, other names that they have pursued, not allowed to get or have been turned down by, David Stearns from the Brewers, Billy Bean from the A's, uh, Theo Epstein withdrew from consideration. Wouldn't you think that general manager or Pobo is going to get a hell of a contract? Yes. So even if you get fired, you're still going to be fine. And the fact that they've had so much turnover in that spot, you, you probably have a longer leash than maybe you yeah. normally would in a situation that, hey, you were just replacing a guy that we needed to move on from. Yeah. And they've had so much turnover and, and just... Uh, the nastiness and the, some of the ugliness of what's happened from those in that spot. Mm-hmm. You, if you come in and you say, hey, here's my game plan. This is my structure. This is how I do it. You would think the owner would say, okay, we're going to give this guy a little bit longer leash yeah. than others. Right. Because we need to have stability in this seat. And we don't know about Cohen. We know he goes to social media, but we don't know if he has a short hook for front office guys because he hasn't been around long enough. Maybe we're finding out, though. Maybe yeah. the word is out that, that hey, be. you want to work with this? Good luck. Yeah. Um, okay, this is a sick of it, but I probably should have done this maybe two months ago, Randy, instead of the day after the Seth Wickersham article. Mm-hmm. I'm sick of the rest of the, I'll say national media, not picking up on what's happening here in St. Louis. You know, I, I said this a lot from traveling around in baseball when we were traveling and I would run into guys that do the NFL. And I would say what's happening in St. Louis. And they're like, what? Like they had no idea just how bad this was and how disingenuous the whole situation was. I actually keep your 
I think it's a text or an email. I've asked you multiple times. I say, hey, send me those numbers that you send mm-hmm. me with just the stuff about the attendance and what they did. And and now all this stuff is coming to light. But I was sick of the national media not picking up on this and understanding that St. Louis did get slighted. And it's not only about the football for me. I mean, the football thing is, on a personal level, very, very frustrating that the team left. But it was the light in which he he put St. Louis as a region and the surrounding areas. You know, people just looked at it and it had a, it was a sore spot. It was a black eye. And a lot of people just felt, well, you're just leaving because the team wasn't supported. They couldn't do it. The corporate support wasn't. No, none of that was true. Mm-hmm. Just this is a bad person deciding to exactly. screw the region. There are some NFL executives that still like me. And so I really I talk to them. Yeah. And, no and, kidding. And so I talk to people around the league, and this has been a quiet thing in NFL front offices, too. It's not something that has been top of mind for them either. I bet it is today, though. Oh, boy. <laughs> Could you imagine going back from that meeting and saying, hey, by the way, we may you let's say you weren't the owner there. You were the owner. There. You, you were the executive. Mm-hmm. And you go back and you talk to the owner and go, well, how did it go? Well, we talked about the Gruden emails. We talked about the Washington football team. Oh, by the way, you may be on the hook for uh, hundreds of millions of dollars for mm-hmm. the move from uh, St. Louis. What? <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Let's go back there. Forget yeah. the Gruden stuff. Forget the other. What? What, what about that? My money? Oh, mm-hmm. now, now we're going to start paying attention. Yeah. And by the way, I do, not that I feel bad because they're multi-billionaires, but I feel bad for Michael Bidwell, who fought for St. Louis and is going to be caught up in this maelstrom, and he's going to have to pay. He's one of the two teams that voted to keep a team in St. And Louis. And the other one was? The Carolina Panthers. Yes. And David Tepper is the richest NFL owner right now, so it's not going to hit him really hard when he has to pay this money. But he didn't even own the team. Right. Jerry Richardson owned the team at that time, and he also voted to keep the Rams in St. Louis, and those two franchises are going to get hit, and I don't think they deserve to. All right, a couple of your tech 65780. Emily, what do you got? From the 321, I'm sick of the Astros. That's reasonable, although I do love Dusty Baker. I do too. I know a lot of people, you know, because of his time in Chicago or Cincinnati with St. Louis and Tony La Russa, they're like, eh. But they hate Tony too, right? Oh, Tony's hated. (laughs) Unless you play for him or play with him, you know. Or are a fan of his winning teams. Yeah, I mean, he's... He is hated, but um, I got to know Dusty a little bit, Randy, uh, in his time in Chicago and Cincinnati. And if you have a chance to visit with Dusty Baker, you love it. Yep. But Bregman, Altuve, Correa. Villains. T- yep, I, I, I totally get that. Well, then you guys won't like this one from the 618. Sick of Dusty Baker and his toothpicks. I like that, actually. I like the wristbands. I like the toothpicks. I wish his son was still six and running out yeah. to go get uh, a bat. His son now is, I would assume, past college. And what we're talking about was he was a bat boy in San Francisco, and J.T. Snow was scoring across the plate and had to pick him up. Yeah. <laughs> Did you remember that? Yeah, yeah it, was it was classic. classic. Yeah. Change the rules of baseball of who could be a bat boy. Yep. People who grew up watching baseball the way we did, we love the way Dusty Baker manages a baseball game. A lot of gut. Yeah. Lot of, you know, I, I thought his quote the other day was great when he somebody said, well, what's it like managing pitching um, these days? He said, well, 15, 20 years ago, I would have been killed for not keeping a guy in. Mm-hmm. And now I get killed for not taking him out. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> He's right. He's right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he was. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Coming up, Seth Wickersham with a dramatic story at ESPN.com yesterday. We're going to give you everything we know about the STL suit against the NFL next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The title of the story at ESPN.com is Los Angeles Rams owner Stan Kroenke angers NFL owners with financial pivot related to lawsuit on St. Louis move, sources say. And Seth Wickersham, who wrote the story, joined the fast lane yesterday here on 101 ESPN. And at the crux of this is that Stan Kroenke signed an indemnification agreement on the morning of January 12, 2016, when the, the move was approved, agreeing to pay all costs associated with any litigation that came from the move. And yesterday, according to Seth Wickersham, Kroenke basically told the owners, eh, I'm not so all in on paying all of the costs associated with this lawsuit. And the fast lane asked Seth Wickersham if this is when the owners found out about this. Yes. And Jerry Jones was there backing him up as he always did. And, and, and you know, I think there's some nuance to it that I'm still trying to, like, you know, report out. Um, but, you know, the owners are upset about this because this is a lawsuit that hasn't gone away. A lot of them have had to submit to discovery and they got fined by the judge in St. Louis for not fully complying to it. And, you know, the trial is due to start on January 10th. That's weeks before the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. Um, obviously, Crocky's made an effort to settle, but that effort's been unsuccessful. And so I'm not exactly sure where this goes from here. And one of the things that came up is that Jerry Jones, a staunch Crocky defender, had a different point of view than a lot of the owners in the room. I think that there's a lot of different points of view with this. Like one is the, is the cronky point of view, which is that there was an expired lease and the stadium was not up to the code that it should have been. And he was free to relocate because of that. And then, you know, the league was kind of there in the middle of it too. I mean, that's been well-documented. And, you know, maybe there's a feeling that the league didn't shield cronky as well as, as it should have from this litigation. And then on top of it all, you have, the fact that there was that derby um, for L.A., it was very competitive, it was very divisive, and it was very toxic in owner's ranks. And in the Carson Project, which was obviously competing with Kroenke, there was a, a representative from, from Carson who wrote in an email all of the ways that they thought that Kroenke was violating the relocation policy, essentially like you know giving St. Louis a legal roadmap. And so... You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of really frustrated people who are in the middle of this thing right now. And in the middle of it all, you know, you have, you know, Stan Kroenke, who's who's been footing the bill for most of it. And if you missed it earlier, uh, Stan Kroenke asked to leave the room. And that's when Pash of the NFL uh, indicated to the owners that this was coming down and that he might be turning on them to an extent mm -hmm. is the best way I could put it. Yeah. And Jeff Pash is the NFL's legal counsel. And for some teams, Randy, the bills uh, have run to eight figures, according to Seth's article here. And one of the owners and then a few others chimed in saying that Kroenke's change in position was ridiculous. If he had not agreed to indemnify the league, the owners would have voted for him to move. He said anyone who was in the room in Houston when the vote was taken would know that. They said they would not have voted for him to move. So they would have said, hey, if we knew this thing was coming down, there's no chance that we would say that the Rams are going to leave St. Louis. No. We're not going to do it. Right. And the money and Jerry Jones and his steamroller allowed the vote to take place. One more from Seth Wickersham. What stood out to him about this meeting? 
you know, I just found it interesting that, you know, here we have the first NFL owners meetings in person since December of 2019. You had all these things on the on the table, right? Deshaun Watson, the Washington football team, John Gruden emails. And yet the issue that ended up causing more rancor within the ranks was this lawsuit and the fact that, you know, a lot of these owners are, you know, that Kroenke is making an argument that they should be paying for some of this themselves. And, you know, that was frustrating to them. I am not at all surprised by this. I remember, Dan, going to an attorney in Chicago in August of 2015. So this is before the last season for the Rams here. And I was speaking to an attorney who is involved with the then San Diego Chargers. And I obviously knew the history of Stan Kroenke. I said, are you aware of Stan Kroenke's history in, in doing business? He said, yeah, we, we, we know what he's like. I said, you should just check out Missouri Case Net and just look up his name on Missouri Case Net. He said, okay, well, and that's what the Chargers are involved with and what the league is involved with now. There's an awful lot of litigation that uh, the, the Rams owner has been involved with over the course of the years. So I want to get your um, thoughts on this. So in a ESP, uh, ESPN report in 2019... On the Rams Chargers marriage detailed that discovery in the lawsuit had turned up an email from an official affiliated with the competing Carson proposal that outlined to St. Louis authorities all the ways the Rams seemed to be in violation of the league's relocation policy, providing a blueprint for the city of St. Louis's yeah. lawsuit. So a source close to Cronkey uh, says now that the Rams owner believes that some of the legal issues arise from that email and that after building the stadium and agreeing to house the Chargers as a tenant for $1 a year, he shouldn't be responsible for all those fees. Jones and Pash had a brief back and forth. Jones asked Pash whether Kroenke had tried to settle the lawsuit. Pash replied that he had. Sources told ESPN. Jones indicated Kroenke's settlement figure was billions of dollars. Pash refused to confirm the figure, a source with direct knowledge of the situation. It was less than a billion, but told those in the meeting that it was more than the net worth of some in that room. It just, it's... And Incredible. Jerry Jones has a tendency to embellish. If you've ever heard an interview with Jerry Jones, you know that he has a tendency to embellish. And I would suggest that billions is probably a little bit beyond what any settlement offer was. It's my understanding that it was well below, well, well below a what billion they dollars. they were offering, not that what the, the league offered. Yeah. And it was a long time ago. It was 2018, 2019 that they offered what... I was what was described to me at the time as a an offer that was laughed at and basically they, they hung up and said, OK, well, let's just move on from this. How about this? Um, apparently, then, when he leaves the room, a bunch of the owners feel comfortable, I guess, to speak mm -hmm. up and say, what the hell's going on here? So Jim Ursay of the Colts said, owners should call Kroenke back into the room to answer questions from the membership. Jones argued, Jerry Jones argued, that Kroenke shouldn't do so without an attorney. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So now you got your, your good old buddies here. We're making a lot of money. Well, yeah, now this is going to get ugly, so he better be in here with an attorney. Art Rooney of the Steelers said lawyers should handle all these issues. John Mara then reiterated that nobody in the room, I, and this is mentioned twice in this article, uh, Mara reiterated that nobody in the room would have voted for Kroenke to move if not for full indemnification. 
And so that's going to be the sticking point is yeah. what is he on the hook for? Is he on the hook for everything that comes out of this or is it just the legal fees? And what this goes back to, in my opinion, is the arrogance of the league and its owners that they can just do anything they want. They can steamroll anybody they want and there are no consequences for what they do. Period. And now, that's right. faced with consequences, they're fighting with each other. Yes. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure, Randy. I called you. Uh, we both were playing golf and so I got your text late that had this uh, email um, or the article on my phone. And uh, so we were talking, I guess, it was about 6.30 last mm-hmm. night, something like that. And I said, well, I'm about a third of the way through the article because I was picking up kids everywhere and didn't have a chance to read it. But I said to you, I said, could you have drawn up a, if you're on the St. Louis side of things, a better scenario right now, whether you're a fan or involved in the lawsuit or whatever? I mean, this is a nightmare, a oh, nightmare yeah. for the NFL. Right. And just go back all the way to well, yeah. Just go back all Unless the way SoFi to SoFi collapses. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody get hurt, but right. SoFi collapse. That would. Well, I know the person you're talking about. Um, maybe two for you. <laughs> yeah, it might maybe. be more than two, um, but the, that would be the only thing that the thing collapses and he puts six billion in it. It doesn't work. Yeah. But other than that, this has gone to plan. Yep. If you're a fan of the the St. Louis Rams and what's going on here and how you feel about your city. But if you go back to that morning, go back to the signing of that indemnification, how you, you ticked off the Raiders and the Chargers. You lost teams in those two markets when you could have solved the problem just by moving Solved your quote-unquote California problem just by having those two teams move to Carson. And throughout that process, leading up to that day, you had told Dave Peacock and Bob Blitz, just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing fine. Spend the money. Try to build a stadium. Get an actionable plan. They get an actionable plan, and then they decide, well, no, we really didn't mean that. Everything that they did. Stadium, naming rights, all of it was there. Yep, and then getting to L.A., and not being able to build your stadium, it's it's two years late, it's $4 billion over budget. You've got a bunch of fans from other teams that show up to watch your team. TV ratings for the Las Vegas Raiders are better than they are for the Rams in Los Angeles. Nothing. And by the way, the Rams are really disappointed with the corporate support that they've gotten out there. It hasn't right? worked for them either. So what... A, what f- has worked here in getting back into L.A., if you're the NFL, what has worked? I don't think it has. What do you think? Uh, so Kroenke says that it's an email um, that has cost him a lot of money. What do you think leaked that? And what do you think that where, well, do you, where does that come from? It was just part of discovery and it was part of the competition to get to L.A. Yeah. It was Chargers, Raiders, and they're talking about trying to undermine the process of the Rams getting to L.A., and they know everything that's going on, and they're well aware of the fact that we are not going to follow the guidelines as a league so that we can get Kroenke to L.A. And that was just part of the—it wasn't leaked. It was just part of the discovery process. Incredible. They had to give up their emails and follow the law, fortunately. Yeah, <laughs> and and to your point, the, the NFL has these guidelines, and St. Louis was hitting those. Right. Doing everything that they were supposed to do to have an actionable plan that's in motion, to have the taxpayer funded portion of the of the stadium done. They could have broken Naming grounds. Rights. Yeah, they, that move was 
approved on January 12th of yes. 2016. Yep. They could have broken ground on January 20th of 2016. That's how they were much going through the, the electric. They were going. I mean, they, was, everything was done. Yes. Yeah. So it's great. It's I, I, I mean, if you're on that side of things and you took a realistic look at how this has gone about, it's just a nightmare. Yeah. It hasn't been what you thought it was going to be. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of bright spots and I'm sure that, that stadium is magnificent. I've heard it is. But as you mentioned, four billion over yeah. budget and all the headaches now that you're going to have going through this. I, I don't know what his net worth is. I haven't checked it. I don't really care. But. I'm assuming that let's just say that this thing goes to uh, to court mm-hmm. in terms of, of having this happen in early January and then the settlement is awarded. You start thinking about what he left on the table here. OK, so the obviously he improved his franchise value right. by a lot. But yeah, that part has worked. <laughs> yes, that part has worked. But dipping into his net worth, which is all he cares about. Um, just look at his other business dealings. It's all about money. Mm-hmm. It's not about human beings. It's not about people and doing what's right for people. It has taken a massive chunk out of his net yeah. worth. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and it's a kick in, I, you know what? One little SoFi fun fact, by the way. While it is, by all accounts, magnificent, they didn't think about room for a ring of honor. So they have no place in that massive facility to put a ring of honor for players that they want to honor. And one of the things they asked for in the $700 million upgrades to the Dome here before they left was a Rams museum at uh, at the Dome. They wanted to have that. They don't have a museum either. They don't have a really? Rams museum in their stadium. It's remarkable. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, time for Tioli. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Dan, as you know, many times when I can't sleep, I think about baseball. And so last night when I couldn't sleep, I was thinking about the Cardinals. And so I'm thinking you've got your starting nine, which we know what it's going to be. You're going to have the outfield. You're going to have the infield. You're going to have Yachty. You're going to have probably Nolan Gorman as a DH, Kisner, Newt Bar DeYoung on the bench. That gets you to 12 position players. Wayno, Hudson, Flaherty, Michaelis, Reyes in your starting rotation. Perhaps you re-sign Hap or Lester. Bullpen, Cabrera, McFarland. I'm going to put Libertor in there to be treated like Wayno was in 2006. And then Hicks, Helsley, Gallegos, Whitley, Luis Garcia. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals opening day 22-20, the opening day roster next year, 2022, Every single player was in the Cardinal organization in 2021. Ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to leave it. I, I think, and I'll say because, so I'll you and, and all those things make sense, but um, I'll say like Libertor or Newt Barr, uh, maybe a Jordan Hicks goes to the minor leagues. And the reason I say that. You, you, we found out this year you cannot have enough pitching. Exactly. So maybe you stretch guys out mm-hmm. to be starters just in case, and, and then got, you bring them up. I've, I've got Woodford down there. I've got uh, 
Oviedo, mm-hmm. and I've got Thompson down at the minor league Who, level. By the too. way, has been awesome yeah. in the Arizona yep. Fall League. I think he's got eight innings and 12 strikeouts right. and given up like one hit or yep. two hits. He's and been the, really good. The, I, I think you've been told the same thing. I was told that the first round draft pick from this year is a fast track guy yes. that could be on the team in 2022. Throw strikes. Yeah. And that's what they were Michael looking for. Michael McGreevy. Correct. Um, so, yeah, I, I see both ways. But I also see that if, and I'm reading in between the lines here, that if they want to go to more of the platoon type of game and managing that type of game. I Can I get enough at bats for some of my young players in the major leagues? Nolan Gorman, uh, Newt Barr, Juan Yepes would be another right. one. Now they're interchangeable parts, so that maybe answers my question to saying, yes, I can, but if not, then I don't want to stunt their growth and I put them down in the minor leagues. I'm with you. I don't want to believe what I see in the Arizona Fall League. I, I don't want to... Newt Bar. I, I don't want to count on Newt Bar and Yepes because they're tearing it up in the Arizona Fall League. That's the way I would approach it if I were the ball club. I would want more, and nothing's a sure thing, but I want, would want more of a sure thing and to, to get some veterans. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals would want to hold back, lost a lot of money the last two years, and went with something like this. It makes sense, and they have talked about it. Ali Marmol is and Mike Schild are great examples. They love to promote within, yep. and they do that with their players. There was one year, Randy, they had over 50% of their minor leaguers jump a level. Wow. So they, yeah. they put that carrot out there. Um, okay. I was watching MLB Network. Nelson Cruz gets the... Uh, the uh, Roberto Clemente Award, and he's on the set being interviewed, and it's at night, and he has some of the darkest sunglasses you've ever seen in your life. Take it or leave it, unless you've gone nine rounds with Mike Tyson in a post-game interview, or if you are a <laughs> uh, um, an actor or an actress, you should not be wearing sunglasses during your interview. It's okay to take those off. I now, would, maybe he's got a black eye. I don't know. Yeah, I, I will 100% take that. Okay. Now, if you're Tony Lewis in the dugout, you can wear sunglasses at night as well. Yeah, even but that's taking a little too far, though. You qualified it, though, in an interview. Yeah, you should not be. And how about the the day after? And I think that was a tougher play. I, I think he gets a, a bad rap for that freeze triple. I think that was a t- tougher play than we give it credit for. How being. about that on the ten year anniversary? Exactly, of that, he, he gets, gets the, the <laughs> award. Yeah, <laughs> he just keeps giving back. You know, <laughs> Emily, what do you got for us? From the six three six, take it or leave it. Somehow the NFL will spin even a loss in this lawsuit and come out appearing unscathed. I'll take that. I'm going to leave it. I think that there's more momentum with this and the fact that the Super Bowl being in L.A. And if this thing isn't settled by then, which by all accounts, I mean, that's not that far away. No, it's not. We're only a couple months away now. Yeah, um, that it, a lot of attention is going to be brought to this. And I, I don't see them walking away without some financial hit for sure. And a black eye for some yeah. fans. I remember. Roger Goodell opening day of or op- before opening weekend of the 2016 season was on the Rich Eisen show and he acted like the, he was despondent. Yeah, Rich, we lost St. Louis. <laughs> Come on. Come on, so Roger. So disingenuous. <laughs> that guy's that guy's taking in $40 million a year. Yep. From the 573, take it or leave it. If Kroenke takes the NFL to court, the owners will pull the Rams from him. Leave it. They can't do that. No, leave it. Won't happen. No. And by the way, 
at some level, Jerry Jones will fire up that steamroller again against the other uh, owners. Yeah. But here's the difference, though, Randy. Back when they did this and he did the closed door and ordered the booze and, every, and said, all right, we're not leaving until he goes to L.A., everybody's like, okay, I'm on board. But that's before they had to chip in potentially hundreds of millions of dollars now. Yeah, right. When it affects you financially, you act a little differently. Follow the money. Mm-hmm. From the 314, take it or leave it, Jerry Jones is defending Cronky so hard because if this goes south, Uncle Jerry is, j- is to blame just as much as Cronky. Hashtag Cronky sucks. Yeah, I'll take that. I would take that. Yeah. I don't know if Jerry cares. I don't know if any of these guys care until it affects their checkbook. And Jerry doesn't believe that he can lose a lawsuit. Because I don't think Cronky does either. No. Jerry in the mid 90s, and this was referenced in the stories, when he opted out of NFL properties, the NFL. Uh, he threatened a lawsuit against the NFL. It was in 95. Yeah, right. And and the league capitulated. Right. And I get a sense now that that, that was different. NFL properties is a pretty valuable thing. But he could have won that. NFL owners now divide $4 billion by the other 30, not the Ram, Rams or the Cowboys. It's a different deal when you have to pay that sort of money. No question. St. Louis. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text Randy, line. Yes. Coming up uh, next segment, I'm going to be like the voice of the fan. I'm going to put you on trial so you can answer all my questions oh, about the NFL. Okay. I like you ready it. for that? I'm ready. Okay. That's coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I get to take it out of break, and this is a uh, monumental moment for me. That's Randy Carricker. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and we're talking about the uh, the lawsuit against the Rams. Blockbuster bombshell uh, report yesterday on ESPN by Seth Wickersham. L.A. Rams Zubrad, owner, by the way. Yeah. L.A. Rams owner Stan Kroenke angers NFL owners with financial pivot related to lawsuit on St. Louis move. So, Randy, I'm going to put you uh, on the stage here and ask uh, some questions because there's been nobody in this town, you and Ben Fredrickson, that have covered this and been uh, on this for years from day one and in the courtrooms, literally in the courtrooms and watching. So uh, let's just say that the uh, the St. Louis lawsuit goes in the favor of the St. Louis folks. How much money are we talking about coming their way? Right now, actual damages would be about $4 billion. And we can work our way up. About 15 to $17 million was spent on trying to get the stadium built by Dave Peacock and Bob Blitz. About $100 million in lost tax revenue. No, let's call that $200 million. About $100 million on the dome debt. So right now, we're up to about $317 million. Now we're going to get into the big stuff. The $550 million relocation fee is considered unjust enrichment before the NFL, the NFL owners. And that was paid for by Stan Kroenke. The NFL is asking for unjust enrichment fees. That's an actual damage. So now we're at about $775 million. The big one, though, is going to be the unjust enrichment for Stan Kroenke in the increase of the value of his team, which when it left St. Louis was valued by Forbes at $1.45 billion and now is valued at about $4.5 billion. 
billion. So you're talking about $3.05 billion there. So right now, we're talking $3.8 billion. And as the value of that franchise rises, so does the number of dollars in actual punitive damages. The city of St. Louis provides some of the largest punitive damages of any outpost in the country, any any uh, city, any community, any municipality. So there is a chance that punitive damages could reach the $6 billion mark, which would take us to roughly $10 billion. So the number then would be? $10 billion. Wow. And... There was a judgment against Johnson and Johnson with their talcum powder, the ovarian cancer suit, that took place in 2020, in which a St. Louis jury awarded the plaintiffs $4.7 billion. And it essentially was held up on appeal. That number per person was held up. There were some plaintiffs who were not residents of the state of Missouri. So on appeal, the people who weren't residents of Missouri didn't get their money, but in terms of a per-person judgment, including the punitive damages, the St. Louis award was held up by the Court of Appeals. The U.S. Supreme Court wouldn't hear the appeal that Johnson & Johnson made, so those people, a year later, after all appeals are exhausted, are going to get the award that was afforded them by the St. Louis City Jury. Randall, we have about five minutes left in this segment, so okay. let's try to not rapid fire, but see what we can get through here. You got it. Uh, after reading the news in which many owners were shocked that they could be on the hook for some of this, in your opinion, does Stan Kroenke pay for the entire uh, full settlement if it happens, or do you think it'll be divvied up among the owners? I believe it'll be divvied up among the owners because I don't think there's complete clarity that some lawyer did not do a good job. I don't think there's complete clarity in that indemnification agreement. In terms of what some fans would love to see, and some have read this within the last two weeks, is that with the NFL and the owners all of a sudden say, look, we could get off the hook if we award St. Louis a franchise, build them a stadium, and then we're done with it. Is there any chance that that would happen? The only chance of that happening is if... A, like you say, they build a stadium and a practice facility. St. Louis gets to select their owner and the franchise would come at an exceedingly low cost. But then you're going to have to convince Tashara Jones and Sam Page, who are the plaintiffs in this case, to accept working with the NFL again. And I don't I've been asked that. Is there an appetite yeah. for it? Do you think Tashara Jones would accept an NFL team as, and this is just from my observation, and that was the question asked me, do you think that she would accept an NFL team as a settlement? We'll have to get Mayor Jones on, but I don't believe that she would have the appetite for that. So let's just say that eight to 10 million, or excuse me, eight to $10 billion is awarded mm-hmm. and everything's been exhausted and the, the the city of St. Louis is going to win. The the city of St. Louis side is going to win this lawsuit. Um, and you get that money. How is it divided up and where does it go? We don't know yet. 
And what I've been told is that good lawyers in a situation like this tell their plaintiffs, don't think about the money. Don't count your chickens before they're hatched. So that's something that will be determined after the finality of the award and after the appeals process. And by the way, because of stimulus funds, the city of St. Louis and the county, they don't need that money right now. They are able to get by. They're flush with cash and they're able to get by without having that award right now. They can afford to go through a lawsuit, a, a case, and the appeals process. In your opinion, does this get settled before early January? My opinion is no, and my opinion doesn't count. But from what I understand, it, ordinarily in a, a case such as this, the defendant would not want to admit guilt. The St. Louis interests here want it on the record that what they did to St. Louis was wrong, legally and morally. And the only admission here would be, yeah, we're going to give you X billions of dollars. And so that's kind of an admission. But St. Louis wants it on the record that they were done wrong by the NFL and they want a deterrent for other cities. You just so that, let me into the next question. Yeah, so, yeah. so that this doesn't happen to other communities, what happened to us? So that was, you lead me right into it, with Buffalo or Chicago saying that maybe we need to move it to the suburbs, Buffalo trying to get a new stadium. All of a sudden, what happens with some of these franchises that are saying, oh, okay, we've been in the stadium for 20 years, we need a new one, and hold the city hostage for it? You do need to have an actionable plan. That's why San Diego and Oakland don't have a case, because they didn't have an actionable stadium plan. But if you do what the NFL tells you to do, then you should be able to keep your team. St. Louis did what the NFL told them to do, word for word, detail to detail, and still wasn't able to keep their franchise. Now it's a personal question. Yes. Pipe dream. The NFL comes back. There's a stadium built. Uh, there's a team here. Is Randy Carricker back on the uh, NFL bandwagon? As much as you've been frustrated, emotional about it, would you get back on board? Dan, I, when we didn't have a team, I was in tight with Buzz Westfall and Richard Gephardt. I, I was on fans. I, 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 you know, I was working nights yes. at KMOX. I was basically volunteering my time, cold calling companies to try to get them to buy tickets to come. If the Rams come here, will you buy tickets? I was in on that. I was really emotionally invested. Will I be emotionally invested to that level again? I will not. But, and by the way, I bought PSLs. I, I, was, I was all in. On, on Fans Inc. And actually became very good friends with Tom Eagleton during the course of the process. I, I had a great relationship with Senator Eagleton. Will it be good for business here, talking football, if we have a St. Louis team? Yes. Will I be tailgating? Will I buy tickets? No. It, it'll be a different feeling. It'll be what the NFL wants it to be with me, all business. Thank I like you. that. All business. Yeah. Randall, great job. Thank you, sir. Coming up next, we're going to talk it over with John Kelly, the uh, Avalanche are in town tonight. Blues and Avalanche on 101 and Valley Sports tonight. A visit with the voice of the Blues coming up. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Thank you.
We have the Blues and the Avalanche tonight. The pregame with Alex Ferrario at 6, faceoff at 7 here on 101 ESPN. If you're watching on TV, Danny Mack will have the pregame show with Bernie Federico leading into John Kelly and Darren Pang with the call on Bally Sports. And John Kelly, the TV voice of the Blues, joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN as he does Thursdays during the hockey season. JK, good to have you with us. How are you doing? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Everything's good. Thanks for taking some time with us this morning. I want to start with this because I, I started with Dan this morning saying that as much as I hate the idea of Ryan O'Reilly being out, I because of the Blues being as deep as they are, if it's a short-term thing, I'm not too worried about it. Are, are you worried about what the Blues will do over the next four or five games if, if indeed O'Reilly is out for more than four? Well, I, I think obviously it's a big loss. I mean, he's their captain and, you know, plays in every situation. So I don't want to, you know, minimize what impact he can have. But, you know, the Blues can survive. And I think the good news is, you know, we know that it, it's something that should be short term. And hopefully he is back in 10 days. It's, it's not like, a, you know, a, a groin pull that could linger and he could be gone for two weeks or he could be gone for two months. There are a lot of unknowns. So, you know, this one, to me, sort of has a, a firmer end date, and that's good. And, and the other thing is the strength of the Blues team, as we all know, is their depth and their four lines. And that's how they that's how they have success, and that's how they score goals. And, you know, they get good matchups because perhaps their third line is better than the opponent's third line. So, um, yeah, he'll be missed, no question. He's he plays in every single situation. Um, but but again, because we know of the the situation and the circumstances, um, there certainly is a lot of light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Hey, J.K., it's Danny Mac. Um, McKinnon and Landis Gog will be back for the Avalanche. We would have to assume tonight they're two four zero, so off to a disappointing start. You would have to think they're going to have a lot of jump tonight after what happened on opening night with the Blues and the Avalanche. Uh, just give me your anticipation of what you think you may see tonight. Yeah, I mean they're they're a fairly desperate team, Dan. As you exactly. said, I mean last year they won the President's Trophy. And as you said, this year they're two and four. They lost at home the other night to Vegas three to one. I watched the game and, um, you know, Vegas has got a ton of injuries. Quite honestly, they have as many guys out as any team in the NHL right now. And they went into Denver and won three to one. So, yeah, they're obviously a much better team with, with McKinnon and Landeskog. That's, you know, the obvious statement of the world right now. Um, and that line is is arguably the best line in hockey with Rantanen on the right side. So, you know, the Blues caught a break on opening night when, when McKinnon did not play. He was in COVID protocol, and Landis Gug was suspended. So they don't catch, you know, the same type of, of break tonight. Um, although the Avalanche still have some players that are, are not in the lineup. But, you know, the Blues have some players said, that aren't available as well. I mean, I don't believe Saad is going to be ready to go tonight. Um, he's in COVID protocol, and obviously Sunquist is skating. And, you know, Baruby did mention yesterday after practice that Sunquist is getting close, so that's great news. But, yeah, I think Colorado, uh, to get back to your question, Dan, and the point, they will be an extremely desperate team tonight, and it will be a bigger challenge for the Blues. This is where you really miss O'Reilly is because you know he's going to match up against McKinnon's line, and he's not here tonight, and he's one of the best defensive centers in the NHL. So it, it will be certainly a challenge without without Ryan O'Reilly. 
JK, tonight we presume that Bozak will center the Butchnevich and Kairu line as Shen will center Perron and Klim Kostin. What have you thought? And I know that he missed the two games with the uh, with the suspension. But what what is your impression early on been of Butchnevich? Well, I, I've liked him. It's it's a very small sample size from obviously what we've seen. He was good in preseason, and you know he's he's a good player. He's a Craig Berube type of player in that he can uh, do a lot of different things aside from score goals. He, he's a big body. He can kill penalties and um, is a good two-way player. So I've liked what I've seen. Um, but, but again, we, we haven't really seen a lot of him. You know, he, he got suspended early in the game in Arizona and then missed two. So he's really missed three full games of the five they've had. So we haven't seen a, a ton of him. But he's going to help the Blues a lot. Um, you know, a 20-goal scorer last year at the Rangers. So, um, you know, that line, you know, when they are together full-time, and as you said, Shen is going to move up to the top line tonight with David Perron. Um, but certainly that line has a lot of potential, and, and I've liked so far what I've seen. J.K., I thought it was uh, really cool to see the other night when Darren went over to interview Vladimir Tarasenko, and he, he basically kind of started the question, and then uh, Vladdy takes off his headset because he can hear the crowd roaring for him, and he's been great basically since the Vegas game. Um, what are your thoughts on what's going on with that situation and just how he's played so far in the early portion of the season? Well, I agree, Dan. I think that the first game he was, you know, average and, and got better in the second game in Arizona. And, and the Vegas game, he took over that game and was the best player, scored the game-winning goal. And needless to say, he was the best player the other night in the 3 nothing victory. So it's great. He's a motivated hockey player, and, and he should be a motivated hockey player. Um, you know, number one, he's counted on to, to score goals. That's what he's done all his career. Um, and... You know, I don't know, Dan, honestly, if he's been humbled a little bit. You know, he did ask for a trade, and, and it, it didn't come to fruition. Uh, Seattle could have had him in the expansion draft. He wasn't taken by Seattle. So I don't I don't know. He doesn't really want to talk about the situation. He says it's in the past. Um, and so I don't know if he is motivated by, by these circumstances. But I do know that when he does skate and drive to the net, guys, he's a heck of a hockey player. And I felt all along, um, you know, even this summer when all of this was unfolding and there wasn't um, any clarity to the situation that, you know, if, if he was healthy and he put his mind to it and was motivated, he could still be a 30-goal scorer, and I still feel that way. So I think the bottom line is whether or not he still wants to be traded, I don't know. Um, if, if he plays well, he's going to benefit himself and the St. Louis Blues. And um, if he does want to get traded, then obviously that would help him in his trade value, quite simply. Hey, John, I, I want to see if you agree with me on an assessment that I've made. I thought the Blues in 2019, uh, the, the second half of the Stanley Cup championship season, those playoffs, and then the next season until the shutdown, they built a very specific identity and seemed to get away from it from the bubble and then most of last season. To me, they seem to have that identity back that they built at the in, in January of 2019 on. Is that what you're seeing, too? Yeah, that, that's a great point, Randy. I, I think that um, the difference between the 19 cup winning team and, and this team is the, the back line. And, and you know, you, you don't have Bo Meester-Petrangelo anymore. And that's not to say that this defense isn't good and it's played well. Um, but to me, that was a strength of that team 
right now, at least on paper, the strength of this team is the forward group. Mm-hmm. They are so deep, and, and I think that's why they're winning so many games. As I said, they're getting really good matchups. I mean, when the Blues are healthy right now, their, their quote-unquote third line is Robert Thomas, Barbashev, and Tarasenko. Now, that is a heck of a third line. Uh, I don't need to tell you guys that. So, I mean, to me, that's a strength. But I think, you know, bottom line, Randy, you know, as far as the forward group in 19, you know, the reason they had success is because they wore teams down. And, and I think that you look at the Blues record in in games five, six, and seven in those playoffs, I believe it was 10 and three in games five, six, and seven. And why was it that? Because they wore teams down. And, you know, they're going to do the same thing this year with, with their matchups and, you know, running four lines at teams. So I think that's the strength, but I think there is a difference right now between uh, the defense that, that we had in 19 and the group we have here. J.K., you would know this a lot better than I, but I, I said to Randy in uh, earlier segment, I said, boy, Billy Husso the other night, I said, to me, that's the best I've seen him play. The fact that he wasn't giving up rebounds, he was challenging, um, he was square to the puck. I mean, just everything that he did in a 35-save shutout. And it's not to be overlooked how well the goaltending, for the most part, has played for the Blues. And it's fun to see all the goals. They're plus 14 goal differential. Uh, the power play has been rolling. PK is there. But, man, the goaltending has been awfully good and solid for the Cardinal, or for the uh, Blues. Excuse me. Yeah, and, and Dan, you know, you mentioned Cardinals. They're a slip, but it's just like pitching, right? It, you got to have it to win games, and you got to have goaltending to win games. So it has been great. Bennington's been superb. And I think that, you know, in watching Billy the other night, he seemed to be in, in really good control of his movements. He wasn't over challenging, yet at the same time, he was aggressive. You mentioned his rebound control, it was very good. And, you know, he made some great saves. I mean, especially in that second period when the Kings had the better of the play, and it was a 0-0 game, Billy played very well. So, I mean, he had a tendency last year, guys, as you know, to give up early goals, and and then he would battle. And that's the one thing I, I've, I've liked about him since day one, and obviously we haven't seen a lot of him. It's only his second year in the NHL. Is he battles hard, and he works hard. So, you know, he's, he's another year... Um, wiser as far as the position and, you know, more coaching and, and things like that. So hopefully that he does improve this year. And because you have to have a good backup goaltender, we know that. And But, you know, one game certainly doesn't make a season, but but he looked very solid the other night in goal. John Kelly, great to hear your voice. We'll be tuned in tonight. Bally Sports for the Blues and the Colorado Avalanche. And we'll talk to you here again next week. All right, guys. Thank you. Danny Mack, we'll see you at the uh, rink tonight, my friend. Can't wait. Loving it. It's been a lot of fun. Even our buddy Bernard, we got him going. So that's uh, we'll get him riled up tonight. You know that. Exactly. <laughs> Good to have you guys. See you, you later. Bet, buddy. That's John Kelly on 101 ESPN. Next up. Get your popcorn ready. Because Dan is going to be <laughs> rooting for whoever it is that's fighting me in the fight. Right? I'm, oh, you, you bet I am. Here on They one. are no average Joe listener in my book. <laughs> they are very special people that I want to beat you. The fight is coming your way you on bet. 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to
It is 8.35, time for the fight, and Randy has stepped out of the studio. Michelle has the day off today and tomorrow, and we say good morning to Ben. Ben, welcome to 101 ESPN. Thank you, Dan. Good morning. Good morning to you. I ask everybody, what allows you to listen to this fine program every day? And I'm sure you never miss any minute of any of the shows. So what do you do for a living? I am an attorney. You're an attorney. Okay. Have you been listening to what we've been talking about with the Rams? I have been. I've been listening, following that for years. I've loved the ramp up in coverage of late and uh, the article that dropped yesterday on ESPN. I've been loving every second of it. What do you think is going to happen from your lawyer mind? Well, it's a little bit outside my professional wheelhouse, but it feels like St. Louis has everything going in their favor right now. I just hope it stays that way. Absolutely. Okay, let's do it. Let's beat Randy. On this day in 2011, the Cardinals won their 11th championship in franchise history. Who was the winning pitcher in Game 7? Was it Lance Lynn, Jason Mott, or Chris Carpenter? Chris Carpenter. Happy 46th birthday to former Cardinal pitcher Braden Looper. Looper had two stints with the Birds, first in 1998, second 06 through 08. Which team did he play for after the Cardinals the second time? His final team in Major League Baseball. Was it the Brewers, the Marlins, or the Mets? Marlins. On this day in 1995, the Braves won their third World Series title, defeating which team? The Blue Jays, the Yankees, or the Indians? Indians. On this day, 1978, Hockey Hall of Famer Bobby Orr scored his last career goal. Which team was he playing for when he scored this goal? The Oilers, the Blackhawks, or the Bruins? Blackhawks. All right. Ben, nicely done. Uh, let's bring in Randy to the studios of 101 ESPN. Many times, Ben, Randy will go out into the hallway, and usually this time in the morning, many of our bosses are strolling the halls of the hallway, and so Randy is buttering them up. So mm-hmm. it's tough to get him back here in the studio, but we've been able to uh, gather Randy and bring him back in. Randall? I was visiting with the great Mike Ryder. We were talking about how this sort of weather makes me realize that I could never live in Seattle. Understood. Uh, Say good morning to Ben. Hi, Ben. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great, Randy. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you, Randy. Now, on this date in 2011, Randall, Mm -hmm. Cardinals won their 11th championship in franchise history. Mm -hmm. Yes. Who was the winning pitcher of Game 7? Chris Carpenter. Are you going to give the line? Normally you go, whoa, Chris Carpenter went in and then he did this and then he, you know. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Happy but he went more than five. Well, that's a good little nugget. Yeah. A lot of guys, uh, you know, wouldn't say that because hmm. you could say, well, he came in relief and the uh, official score gave it to him. Yeah. Okay. Jason Mock got the save. We Alan, all re- Alan Craig caught the uh, winning the last ball, right? That's correct. In left field. Fly ball to left. Happy 46th birthday to former Cardinal pitcher Braden Looper. Looper had two stints with the Birds. Mm-hmm. First was in 98. Second, 06 through 08. Now, listen to the question. Yes. Which team did he play for after the Cardinals' second time, his final team in Major League Baseball? <coughs> hmm. Okay, so... He was with the Marlins. We traded him a, in the Renteria trade. 
in 2000. And so he left after 06 again? After 08. Oh, after 08. Okay, so we've got him from the Marlins. Where did he wind up? I I know you want a pitch clock in baseball. Yeah, I might need one here. I'm going to. Oh, you're going to lifeline it, aren't no, you? No, I'm not. I'm going to. I'm going to guess the Mets. Okay. This day in 1995, the Braves won their third World Series title, defeating which team? This date, 1995, they Correct. defeated the Cleveland Indians, who were really, really good that year. This day in 1978, Hockey Hall of Famer Bobby Orr scored his last career goal. Mm-hmm. Which team was he playing for when he scored this goal? Blues almost got him, but he decided to go to the Chicago Blackhawks. My, oh, my. Now, what do we have when we have a tie? We have a tiebreaker. So, mm-hmm. both of you have gotten three out of four. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ben, are you ready for the tiebreaker? I'll ask Randy to write down his answer, and then we'll get your answer as well, okay? Ready. Okay. How many total goals were scored in the 2019 Western Conference Finals between the Blues and the Shark? Okay. How many total goals? Let's see. Both teams? Yes, that would be total goals, both teams. Um, hold on here. Let me just do some quick math. Um, and uh, let's see. Hold on. Okay. Okay, I'm ready. Ben, are you ready to give us your answer, please? 41. Okay. Randall? Randall says 29, Dan. My goodness. Emily, ring the bell. The winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Optical Expressions, providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Ben, congratulations. You have defeated Randy. Randy, do you have any music that you play when someone beats you? Uh, no, I don't. All Ben does is win. Yeah, you'll be back tomorrow, Ben, but let's uh, go through the answers. Ben, all he does is win, win, win. Just win, baby. Gonna, I'm doing all of them for you, Randy. Okay. Just win, baby. Yeah, okay, here we go. This date, 2011, Cardinals uh, won in Game 7 against Texas. The winning pitcher that day was Chris Carpenter. Went six, uh, six innings, gave up six hits, struck out five, two earned. Happy 46th birthday to Braden Looper. Both got this wrong. <clears throat> the uh, team that he went to and finished up his career with was Milwaukee. Hmm. Went to the Brewers in 09. This day in 95, Braves both got this right, won their championship over the Indians, and both got this right. It was uh, Bobby Orr finishing up with the Chicago Blackhawks. The tiebreaker, how many total goals were scored uh, in the 2019 Western Conference Finals between the Blues and the Sharks? It was 38. So Ben had 41. He was closer to the total. Darn it. Yeah. Congratulations, Ben, and uh, we'll connect again tomorrow about the same time, okay? Sounds great. Thank you. You got it. Good job, Ben. Ben. The uh, new champion currently. Just win, baby. Wow, Randy. That that stings a little bit for you, doesn't it? It stings dramatically. It really makes me feel bad. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic and talk about the Blues and Avalanche. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
It's time for the Rutherford Report. Our lines are open. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. All right, let's head to the Brown and Groupin Celebrity Line and our friend and Blues Insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, kind enough to join us. JR, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Doing well. Just uh, enjoy taking my son to school every morning. And you guys would have loved this. A couple minutes ago, you guys uh, were doing the fight intro, and I got the eight-year-old son in the back seat yelling, and Randy Carriker. <laughs> That's great. And then he probably just said, oh, to hell with this guy after I lost. exactly well, how he said it. Fortunately for you, he was out of the car when that happened, okay, so he doesn't good. know where you lost today. He goes, man, that character guy, Dad, is horse bleep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jr. Uh, we talked to John Kelly a few moments ago about the Blues' depth. And obviously, Ryan O'Reilly, we could argue, is their most important player. But over the course of the next four games, do you have confidence that they'll be able to get through because of their depth up front? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, the depth is definitely going to help. It, it's just not Ryan O'Reilly. And you can say, okay, well, Kyrou's scoring, Perron's scoring, all these guys are scoring. But, yeah, Ryan O'Reilly's right in the middle of a lot of that. And so, um, you know, will it take a step back in terms of the offense and the cohesion up there? I think it could. They're going to have some lines that, uh, at least that top one, that hasn't played much uh, together. So I think they'll be okay. I just think there's going to be a lot of little things in the game that you'll miss without Ryan O'Reilly. What do you think is uh, going on right now with the Tarasenko situation and how this maybe has changed the dynamics of does he want to stay? Does he still want to go? Does the value, I mean, obviously it's early and he's got to show that he's healthy and continue to do this, but what it does for the blues, uh, all those things. I mean, there's a lot of questions that go around this. So how do you, uh, how do you evaluate what's happening right now? Yeah, Dan, so many facets to this. Uh, I'm trying just to stick to the facts on a day-to-day basis. The facts are that he's playing really well. I mean, that goal we saw the other night, the first one, that was uh, vintage Vladdy. It's one we've seen uh, before from him when he was healthy. Uh, Our teams, after a couple good games, you know, knocking Doug Armstrong's door down, I don't think so. Uh, does he still want to be traded? I, I believe so. Uh, so does this uh, enhance his <laughs> trade value if he continues to play like this big picture? Yeah, I think it could. Uh, but we just don't know. Uh, does that mean there's a, a trade done in a couple weeks? Does that mean there's a trade done at the trade deadline? Or does Doug Armstrong say, hey, look, he's a valuable part to this team, and if I can't get what I want, I'm just going to hang on to him until the offseason and then make a, a deal. So I think, uh, again, so multifaceted. Uh, but right now, you know, like I wrote the other day, it's probably just best to enjoy it, enjoy that he's playing well and that the team's playing well. And Jr. Craig Berube mentioned yesterday that Oscar Sundquist is getting closer and somebody's going to have to go when Sundquist is activated, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's going to be something that they'll have to do uh, with the cap because they'll have to take him off LTIR, and then uh, they're within whiskers of the cap. So does that mean sending down a 14th forward? Does that mean putting somebody on waivers? We'll have to see uh, what Doug Armstrong and Ryan Miller, uh, his assistant, uh, do with that situation, but they're definitely going to have to make a move when they bring Sunquist back. And, you know, just to touch on Sunquist, we've been watching him in practice. Uh, he's been getting after it here lately, uh, introduced a contact, which is the biggest thing before you come back. And he's still got to wait the 10 games and 24 days, but it all works out. Uh, pretty even to be November 9th, I believe he could come back. So uh, that's right around the corner. So the Blues are going to be thinking about what they're going to do. You getting any indication of what they might do with neighbors? 
I, I really believe they're going to keep him. I, I think all signs point to that. He's played like that. He deserves it. Uh, Craig Bruby can't say enough about him. And uh, I think uh, Craig Bruby might have even slipped yesterday on the fast lane talking about uh, Jake Neighbors and his future with the Blues. So I, I see him sticking with the team, and I don't think there should be any question about it with how he's played. And then also he brings something to the team that they don't have elsewhere if they were to send him back to junior hockey. JR, along those lines, talking about getting off to a good start, Scott Perunovich leads the American Hockey League in scoring. Five games, a goal, and eight assists. And he's got to be knocking on the door, doesn't he? As well as the Blues have played, he, he's a guy that they have invested a lot in in terms of a draft choice and giving him time to get ready. And now he's performing. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, but over the years, in talking to Doug Armstrong about situations similar to this, where they send a guy to the American Hockey League and he plays well and you think, okay, well, you know, call him up, put him in. How, he's doing great. Uh, Doug says, hey, look, that's why we sent him to the American Hockey League, um, to get some games, to get that kind of experience, to get that confidence, you know, based on the way he's playing. So uh, last check, he was, what, nine points in five mm-hmm. games. He was American Hockey League player of the week they got a guy up here who they like Nico Mikola who hasn't played a game yet I don't think he'll be in the lineup tonight either Um, so things are going well defensively I think they're just going to let Scott Pernovich play and and pile up some points and some games for a little bit before they make that call and obviously one of the reasons that Mikola hasn't gotten gotten into a game is because people are playing well I want you to zero in though on Martin's or Marco Scandella who has a, a no trade clause but has been a guy that we've talked about perhaps moving off the roster at some point. But at this point, if you're the Blues, you don't want to upset the apple cart and you want to keep the quality of play that he's delivered. Yeah, I I can't imagine that they'd be interested in moving him at this point just because of their lack of depth at the position. Look, you know, you can say what you want about Scandella. You know, some nights he'll play 20, 22 minutes with Colton Pareko and and look pretty good, and maybe other nights not so great. So I think it's a situation, though, where he brings you experience. And if you move him, now you're looking at a Mikula, Wallman, Perenovic, and what happens if there is an injury or two? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe a Steven Santini you have to call up from the the AHL. So to me, I don't think they'd have any interest in, in moving Scandella. If they do need to clear some cap, I think that would come from a, another area. Dakota Joshua called up. I would assume he uh, goes right into the fourth line tonight. Yeah, he will, Dan. And uh, I really liked his camp. Craig Ruby said the same thing yesterday. Uh, I thought he was going to make this team. It really did come down to a numbers situation, and, and they really wanted to keep Clint Costin. Uh, in the National Hockey League, give him a chance. He's played pretty well, so that uh, looks deserving. Uh, but with Dakota Joshua, he's going to come right in here and fit in on that fourth line. And, uh, you know, he, he likes to hit. He likes to uh, play up-tempo. He likes to get in on the forecheck. I think he, he really uh, fits the mold of what this team tries to do. JR, what are you hearing about uh, contract extension for Craig Bruby, if anything? Well, I think, you know, it's it's tough because this stuff is uh, done behind closed doors. But I think they, they have to address it probably sooner than later because you look at his situation, uh, you know, the, the team has been revamped by Doug Armstrong. They've gotten off to this good start. Do you want to face a situation where you get halfway through the year and, uh, you know, you have a lame duck coach? This is the final year of his contract. If you go back to that, 2019 season I realized what was going on was magical and they didn't want to upset the apple cart there and and talk contract you know halfway through that magical run but they waited until the end of the year waited until the offseason to get it done I think that's probably what they would prefer but if if Craig Berube you know continues to guide this team in the right direction and we already know that Doug Armstrong and Tom Stillman have faith have confidence 
in his abilities, then perhaps we do see something sooner than the offseason. But to me, and I'm not just saying this because the team's 5-0, and I, I really believe they like Craig Berube behind the bench, and they do want to extend this contract. And people might be thinking, well, what about Barry Trotz a couple of years ago? He was essentially a lame duck, won the Stanley Cup, and becomes a free agent, gets a huge deal to go to the Islanders. But... The at that time, at least, the Washington really wanted Todd Reardon to become their head coach. Do you get the sense that anybody on this Blues staff holds the same esteem with the Blues that Reardon did with the Caps? That that, that could be the case, and it could be a situation like we've seen with the Cardinals here recently. Mm-hmm. You know, where with uh, Ali Marmol, and, and you don't want to let him get away. Is it a situation where they don't want to let Steve Ott get away? You know, I suppose you know there could be some you know, thought to that. But uh, I think that if they weren't on the same page with Craig Berube, like the Cardinals weren't on the same page with Mike Schilt, then perhaps there'd be more leaning towards that direction. But I just don't see that at this point. And look, I wrote it the other day. I think Steve Ott's going to be a head coach in, in this league. Will it be next year somewhere else? Will it be three years down the road with the St. Louis Blues? I don't know. There couldn't be any two people tighter than Craig Berube, Steve Ott. They're on the same page. And uh, again, with the success at the Blues have had um, under Craig Berube. I realize I realize the two playoffs haven't gone like they planned, uh, but I do think that Craig Berube still is in really good favor with this team. What do you think they do with faceoffs tonight? Ryan O'Reilly has been a terrific faceoff guy. They won seventy five percent of the faceoffs in the opener against the Avalanche, and that's often overlooked. Just a little thing like faceoffs and how big that can be. And O'Reilly wins uh, the majority of them. He's well over sixty percent and takes a ton of them. Where do you think they go with that? Yeah, and that's where uh, I go back to that first answer, Dan, with the uh, the little things that Ryan O'Reilly does and how he's going to be missed, even though they have a lot of depth up front. When you miss a guy like Ryan O'Reilly in the circle, look, the Blues don't score 25 goals in their first five games without Ryan O'Reilly uh, with that faceoff percentage. So uh, I think it could be an issue. I really do. Uh, you know, Braden Chen's taking a ton. Uh, at times he gets on a streak, uh, but but he's not Ryan O'Reilly. You look at uh, Robert Thomas. He has his, his struggles in that area. I think that's one of the main reasons they bump Bozak up to that second line center, you know, so you got, can have a guy up there that can take the draws and try to keep the puck uh, possession like the Blues have had. So I think it's going to be an issue. Uh, you know, no team in the league can replace a Ryan O'Reilly in terms of uh, face-offs, uh, but they're just going to have to do the best they can with the four or five games uh, cross your fingers that uh, he misses. Finally, JR, you two kids, yourself and Danny Mack have covered a lot of sports together being roughly the same age over the years. So how's it been having Danny Mack back at uh, Enterprise Center? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I, I turned on the TV the other day and thought it was like 2006 there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want JR, though, to tell this story, which has been told before I had JR back in uh, way back when as a guest on a pregame, Randy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're on television, and JR's covering the team. And, you know, I bring him in, and I said, okay, JR, what's going on with uh, Doug Waite, Keith Kachuk, you know, uh, Larry Plows thinking about doing this? And he did a great job. And, uh, and JR, your family was very excited to see you on the television. Uh, so much so, I'll, I'll leave it at that, and you can uh, take it from there. 
Well, when I came home from that road trip, I think we were in Nashville, Dan, I, I came home and uh, my wife had told me, you'll never believe what my mom did. And I said, what's that? She said, well, she couldn't find a VCR tape to record the pregame show with you and Dan. So uh, she ended up taking some still pictures of the TV <laughs> while we did the interview. And I kid you not, I went over to the in-laws house a couple days later and uh, there it was, a stack of photos on the kitchen table. <laughs> and I flipped I flip through them like a deck of cards, and I just see our heads uh, go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth <laughs> as, as I'm flipping through the photos. Awesome. Uh, no closed captioning, though, on the bottom of the photo or anything like that. We're not sure what we were talking about, but, uh, yeah, that's a memory you'll never forget. That's great. Thanks for reminding me. No problem. <laughs> JR, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Yep, see you guys. See you, buddy. Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from... The Athletic yeah. on 101 ESPN. I do think that's going to be something to watch out for tonight. And I know that it's getting in the weeds a little bit. But face-off so important, and O'Reilly's so good at that. They were in the first game against the Avalanche. Uh, Randy, they, they won 21 of the 28 face-offs that they had against the Avalanche with Ryan O'Reilly being right in the middle of many, many of those. So your first line uh, on that night was Saad, you had Perron and O'Reilly, and now two of the three are off that line. So that's something to think about looking ahead to uh, the hockey game tonight. It's a great point. The Blues, at this point, sixth in the league in face-off percentage, and third in the Western Conference. They're at 53.2, and obviously Ryan O'Reilly is a big part of that. Coming up, St. Louis is causing some consternation for NFL owners. Seth Wickersham of ESPN.com wrote about it yesterday, and we're going to hear about what kind of problems St. Louis is causing for the NFL next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle is taking a couple of days off today and tomorrow. She'll be back on Monday. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to talk to Dan Wallach, a great attorney who's going to provide us more information in terms of the intricacies of the St. Louis lawsuit against the NFL. Yesterday, Seth Wickersham of ESPN.com had a great, I think we can call it an expose because the NFL owner certainly didn't want it out there. No. The details of their meeting in which they discussed the lawsuit by St. Louis against the NFL and now the NFL is pushing back a little bit and it seems like there is a civil war a Bruin because Stan Kroenke does not want to pay off the entire indemnification that he agreed to the morning of the move. How do you uh, how do you think Seth gets this insight? It's a scorn owner. Is it an owner that puts his phone out there and starts recording what's going on? I mean, it's amazing the know. stuff that he gets well, out of these. He had. And it's not refuted no. once it gets no. out. It's not like people going, no, 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 that didn't happen. Right. No. A, a 2019 conversation that Stan Kroenke was having on his phone on the patio of a restaurant in L.A. talking to Roger Goodell. And he got it. Yes. It was unbelievable. So there appears to be inviting. Seth Wickersham was on the fast lane yesterday here on 101 ESPN and was asked if indeed there is a, a, a civil war that's on the way because of Kroenke. Well, it goes back to January of 2016 in the morning that they had the owners had the vote to see who would end up in L.A., right? There was kind of the L.A. Derby between the Rams and Inglewood and the Chargers and the Raiders in Carson. And that morning, the league presented 
all of the parties with an indemnification agreement that basically said if there's any lawsuits, you know, this team is on the hook for them. Obviously, Kroenke won. And so I've written about, you know, a lot of the stuff that's gone on with the relocation and the Rams and the Chargers out in L.A., and the interesting thing is that, like, you know, usually these lawsuits end up kind of disappearing, right? They go, they end up, you know, like the one in Oakland, but the one in St. Louis has stayed. And, you know, owners have had to turn over eight years of phone and email records. And as you guys know, you know, some of the proceedings that have happened just this past year in terms of discovery. And, you know, Kroenke has been on the hook for most of this. And yesterday during um, the NFL League meetings, it was the privilege session, which means one per club. And um, Kroenke, they, they gave an update on the on the St. Louis lawsuit, and then Kroenke left the room, and Jeff Cash, the league's general counsel, told the owners that Kroenke's lawyers were challenging the notion that um, the indemnification agreement that he signed um, was unlimited. And, in fact, they were arguing that it did have a limit. And a lot of the owners got upset about that. And couldn't happen to a better bunch of guys. No, Just a good group of fellas getting together talking about how to make more money and or how right. to sue each other. Yeah, what we're given to understand is that in this indemnification agreement, the word costs is used, not damages, not awards. And that's what I want to ask Dan Wallach. Right. Where do you draw the line? And obviously, Stan Kroenke has drawn a line at what he believes is legal fees for costs, but not judgments. So Anthony Salter asked uh, Seth Wickersham yesterday, what goes next? I mean, is there so much division within the NFL ownership group that Stan Kroenke and Jerry Jones wind wind up on an island themselves and Kroenke does have to foot the bill for all this and go through it essentially by himself? Or do you think that the the rest of the NFL owners or, or the NFL, the league itself, will back Kroenke at some point so that they can just get this whole situation over with? I don't know. I just don't know. Mm. I would have to think if I'm an owner and I'm in that room and I didn't vote for this project to happen the way that it's come out, uh, <laughs> I'm not paying the bills. I'm not paying the bills for somebody else that has made a mistake and grossly overestimated what they were doing. I mean, it's clear that in the indemnification that whether you talk about, Randy, with the cost of just doing the the legal fees or whether it was relocation issues that they may have, they just felt they were, I, to me, it looks like they just felt like, well, this will get taken care of. We'll, we'll put it, sweep it under the rug. It'll get steamrolled over like we do everything else. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't happened. But if I'm an owner that is not involved in this in terms of being wanted to be a part of it and did not vote for this to happen, I'm not just sacrificing and throwing in three to four hundred million dollars because I got lumped into this. No way. No. And there appears to be a groundswell of support among the the older school owners or those that were aggrieved for this to go forward and for owners to say, no, we're not paying. Raiders owner Mark Davis in the story reminded the room that in 2016, the L.A. committee recommended a Raiders Chargers project in Carson by a 5-1 vote over Kroenke's project in Inglewood. And that was the first time 
that a commissioner's committee had ever been overruled by the ownership. And it happened because Steve Biscotti, at the behest of Jones, asked for the private vote. And Jones had already lobbied and set things up for things to go the way he wanted them to go. Absolutely. Um, And if you haven't read the article and you're just tuning in this morning for the first time, uh, an incredibly unusual, maybe first time ever, I've never heard of the league asking an owner to leave the room. And that's what they did with Stan Kroenke. And that's when Jeff Pash told the room, Jeff Pash from the NFL, that the league was notified by Kroenke's attorneys that he is challenging this agreement. So essentially, he's saying, hey, I'm not footing the bill for all of this. And hey, guys, uh, when Stan's out of the room, he may be coming after all of us, depending on Mm -hmm. how this uh, unfolds. And if it shows that he uh, is in, in, you know, concert with all the other owners that they're going to have to pay this if it's awarded to St. Louis. Um, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. And then guys are upset, and you can understand why. And one other note here. In the story, it says that Jerry Jones said that Kroenke offered a settlement to St. Louis in the billions of dollars. I'm not so sure that's correct. I'm pretty sure it's not, as a matter of fact. And Jeff Pash said that Indeed, an offer was made that would eclipse the net worth of some people in the room. Well, some people in the room included league executives and people that were sent by owners because owners didn't want to represent themselves at the the meeting. I would think that they might be talking about near the beginning of this lawsuit and this entire escapade, an offer that was made through an intermediary in the range of $50 million that was summarily laughed off by St. Louis interests. So in this article, too, it talked about how some of the owners were really just kind of getting caught up to speed. They had no idea that it's gone this far and how it could affect them. And I am interested in, you know, I don't think Mike Florio just throws out the idea of, hey, one of the things that's been talked about is giving St. Louis a franchise. Obviously, he's been fed that by someone. Mm-hmm. Hi, I would assume. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, so if you're one of those owners and you're thinking, wait a minute, you're going to ask me to pay three, four hundred million dollars, but yet we can take care of this thing in other ways. I, I got to wonder if that's being talked about this morning. It's a high level of intrigue. And I <clears throat> do think, yes, that they're probably trying to think of any way to avoid paying what could range from $4 billion to $10 billion. You don't have that sort of discussion at an owner's meeting, the first meeting that they've had since December 19th of uh, December of 2019. You don't have that discussion unless you're really concerned that you're going to lose. I, you know, I have it on good authority. Randy, I had sources, too. Mm-hmm. Um, there you was do. a manual inside the um, the owner's meetings, and they brought back Stan in, and when he opened it up, it said, Dear Stan, salvation lie within. I, I just... Oh, man. little Shawshank redemption there. Yeah. You know, the warden opens up the book. There's the, uh, the rock hammer cut out. Mm-hmm. Dear warden, salvation lies within. I trust your sources. <laughs> trust them implicitly. <laughs> I'm not completely convinced, but... I understood. But... I hope. (laughs) Wouldn't that be unbelievable? Yeah. Attorney Dan Wallach joins us. Dear Stan, salvation lies within (laughs) your friends, the other owners. (laughs) Attorney Dan Wallach will discuss this more with us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs) 
Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker with you on 101 ESPN. It's Carricker and Smallman. Michelle is out. She'll be back on Monday. We head now to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. And Daniel Wallach is an attorney, legal analyst for The Athletic. He is co-host of the Conduct Detrimental podcast. I had the pleasure of joining Dan and Dan Lust a couple of weeks ago on the Conduct Detrimental podcast. And they do a great job. Dan, first of all, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Randy. I'm, I'm very happy to actually get you on the Randy Character Show this time. I missed you on my last appearance. That's right. You had a nice week-long vacation. Yeah, I, I, and we appreciate you joining us last time and this time. I wanted to get, first of all, your main takeaways from the Seth Wickersham story yesterday at ESPN.com. Well, uh, I, I think now an expansion franchise is going to be anticlimactic. Nothing is as exciting as what's been taking place in this relocation lawsuit over the last, you know, two months. Uh, talk about the greatest show on turf. This is the greatest show in court or soon to be in court. <laughs> I think this is a sign. I think this is obviously a strong signal that uh, the all of the owners are leery of dipping into their own pocket to pay damages here. That's what this big fight is all about. And the language that I think you picked up on earlier in your program, I don't know if this is factual or someone is surmising that the focus is on the drafting of the of the word costs as to whether that includes all lawsuit damages or whether that is, that is in fact, uh, the heart of the controversy. It means, if this is true, that there's some uh, – Doubt, or at least some confusion within the owners as to their as to whether they might be liable if this were ever litigated by Stanley Kroenke. Which means, I think, if the if the owners think that there's a possibility that they could be on the hook because his his indemnity clause is not valid to cover damages, maybe this incentivizes the other owners to push more chips to the middle of the table to try to settle this case. Because if they had an ironclad indemnification agreement, then they wouldn't be worried about anything. This would simply be on Stanley. Kroenke shoulders and on no other owners uh, back now it's all uh, uh, it's there's a little bit of doubt creeping in so what have you heard about and with your law background with that clause um, in this particular uh, situation does Stan have a case with this do the other owners have a case with this you know with the the, the wording the definition of it how do you see it uh, in in terms of a court of law and what it means Sure. Uh, There's no case, and I've done this research, there's no case that's going to say that costs in the context of an indemnity agreement means all damages, liabilities, and everything under the sun. Because if they don't use the word including but not limited to, uh, then you, you create a factual question. So I think it's an ambiguity. There's some ambiguity over whether the term costs is intended to cover fees and out-of-pocket expenses or litigation damages, which means that to decide what the parties intended, the court will, will, will likely allow external evidence to come into the case to ascertain what the intent of the owners was in coming up with a provision like this. It's, you know, logically, it couldn't have been just attorney's fees because in order to persuade John Mara and all the other owners who are recalcitrant about voting for the relocation to get them to change their vote, do you think the uh, 5 to $10 million of legal fees, is go- which is nothing more than a drop in the bucket, was enough to get these, you know, billionaires to change their vote? I think when you look at the surrounding circumstances and take a look at the sort of discussions and external testimony and and what what they were really thinking about, it had to have been 
indemnification over damages and not just simply over lawyers' fees, which is just simply nickels on the dollar for a league that uh, generates over $12 billion of revenues a year. They're going to be frightened by $10 million of, of invoices from a law firm? I don't think so. so and while it, it, comes can... down to, it comes down to testimony as to what the party's intent was. Uh, Dan Wallach, you can follow him at Wallach Legal, joining us on 101 ESPN, co-host of the Conduct Detrimental Podcast. Uh, Dan, you tweeted about this, and I mentioned it earlier. If indeed, and, and I have no reason to believe that this is not the case, if indeed that indemnification just refers to costs, I don't know what legal malpractice is. But like I said earlier, in talking to a longtime contract attorney last night, if you don't use that term, uh, including but not limited to, and then just throw everything that's in the kitchen sink at it with, with legal fees, any judgments, anything that could cost the NFL money, that is not very good lawyering, is it? No, but it reminds me of the Bill Belichick handwritten resignation on the back of a napkin in 1999 or early 2000, uh, this decision by the owners, and they were in a conference room uh, in all likelihood, and this decision or this this moved very quickly, mm-hmm. and this may have been done somewhat in haste, but even if it was done in haste in a conference room on the back of a cocktail napkin, there's no reason why the NFL couldn't have sort of papered it up after the fact and created a, a sort of a, a typical you know commercial transactional agreement that's prepared by some of the biggest and best law firms. I guarantee you, I mean, I'm I'm not a. I, I've been a lawyer for 25 years. I've drafted indemnity clauses. Relief. No, I've been an attorney for 30 years, and I've never drafted an indemnification clause that was strictly limited to just one word like that. The words "including" but not limited to are boilerplate in every indemnification agreement I've ever seen in my life. And attorneys are super cautious and super careful, and they try to throw in the kitchen sink to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that the language encompasses what they intend it to encompass. So if this really was limited to costs, it it creates two possibilities. Maybe it was really limited only to costs, AKA attorney's fees and out-of-pocket expenses like like deposition transcripts, or this was just written in hand uh, and it was just simply a one-page agreement, like a a handwritten will that was not reviewed by counsel. Or... A third possibility is that the arrogance of the NFL led to them believing that they would, A, not be sued, or B, not have to face a serious threat in court. That is a very viable possibility, Randy. I mean, you have John Mara, who is so clueless that he he essentially opens his mouth and gives away the case. And by essentially admitting that we wouldn't have voted for this had you not agreed to indemnify the other owners. He's essentially saying that the league and the owners relied on factors and criteria that are not within the NFL's relocation policy. It's like an un- the unwritten criteria number 13. You'll, you'll compensate us. Uh, it, it really creates uh, a slam dunk argument for the city of St. Louis to highlight at the trial that the NFL did not follow its own guidelines or that the the factors that were within the relocation guidelines did not 
drive the decision. If, I, if I'm the city of St. Louis, the county, and the, and the uh, regional sports authority, I want to take John Mara's deposition. I want to highlight and get at some of the testimony or some of the quotes that were delivered in the Seth Wickersham article and take the depositions again of some of these owners because you're allowed to take one deposition, but when new facts emerge... Uh, and I'm talking about typical federal court practice. You get one witness for eight hours. You can't go a second time unless you have court approval or new facts emerge. And I think what transpired yesterday in that hotel conference room may be grounds for reopening some of these depositions, especially John Mara and Mark Davis, who might be able to help uh, the city of St. Louis take this case across the finish line, because what came out in that article was an admission that the NFL did not follow its own relocation criteria, which is a breach of contract. And since Judge McGraw has already concluded that the relocation policy is a contract and that the city is an intended beneficiary of that policy, they've essentially laid out their entire case, all three elements, contract, third-party beneficiary, and breach. That's why what happened yesterday may be more important than people realize because it really uh, it, it, it drove the, it basically drove the RBI home, and, and the city of St. Louis now has a much stronger case for breach of contract. So having said that, let's advance the story a little bit. Dan Wallach is our guest, and he's been all over this and done incredible research, and his understanding in the law has been helpful for us to try to understand this as well. So advancing the story, you wake up this morning, you're a lawyer for the St. Louis side, you're thinking what? And if you're a lawyer on the NFL side or even some individual lawyers for some of the owners in the NFL, what are you thinking? So take me through both sides. Well, geez, if you're the if you're the city of St. Louis's attorney, you you certainly want to take more discovery, lock it, lock in these stories, uh, try to find anything that could corroborate, uh, you know, some of these statements from the article, because otherwise it just may be hearsay. How how can you corroborate or verify that what Seth Wickersham wrote in ESPN is actually what was uttered by some of these individuals? So you have to find out. You send out interrogatories which are written questions to the National Football League to identify who was in attendance in the owners meeting uh, yesterday. And then you send out deposition notices uh, to, you know, obviously the owners and any other people in, in attendance. There's no guarantee that people won't be, you know, lying about what transpired. But you have to lock in some of that testimony and preserve it uh, for purposes of trial, because some of these owners are beyond the jurisdictional reach of the state of Missouri, and you may not be able to subpoena them for purposes of trial, so you need to take their depositions. Now, if you're the National Football League's attorneys, you recommend, if you're certainly, uh, you understand the state of contract law and the concept of third-party beneficiary and how much winning the city of St. Louis has done this far, you truly encourage your client to settle the case. Uh, I can't conceive of any circumstances in which the NFL and Stanley Kroenke go before a jury of St. Louisans and emerge victorious at trial. The, the real questions here aren't whether St. Louis will prevail at trial in front of a jury, but how much will the damage award be? How much uh, punitive damages will be awarded, and to what extent will that hold up on an appeal? And the danger, if you're an NFL outside counsel in, in, in talking to your client, you need to be able to convey to your client that the likelihood of a successful appeal reversing the jury verdict becomes much more difficult 
once the jury has rendered its verdict on factual issues, because when, when appeals courts look at jury verdicts and factual determinations, they accord significant deference to determinations made by a jury because the jurors are going to weigh the credibility of witnesses and they're there to they, they really have a front row seat. Appellate courts do not re-decide or re-weigh the evidence. The standard on appeal following a jury verdict is whether uh, the weight of the evidence or, it, or viewing the evidence in the light most favorable to the prevailing party, whether that still uh, creates a, a basis for the verdict that the jury reached. And I think when you look at the, the issue of third-party beneficiary and what was intended, the question of intent is going to is going to be decided by a lot of external factual issues, not just simply the plain language and the relocation policy, but the history of how the cities uh, and, and the U.S. Conference of Mayors played a critical role in consulting with and negotiating with the National Football League to create this joint statement of principles principles, which was incorporated into the NFL relocation policy, the cities uh, across the country, all the home markets had direct involvement in the creation of these relocation criteria. And if the jury makes a factual determination that the third, that, that the relocation policy was intended to benefit the cities and cities like St. Louis, based upon consideration of all this external evidence, that's going to be a difficult thing to, uh, for an appellate court to reverse on an appeal. The difficulty here for the city, though, is that the judge has already decided that the relocation policy is a contract and has decided on the basis of the plain language in the relocation policy that the city of St. Louis is an intended third-party beneficiary. So by reaching a pure question of law, there is a chance that the, uh, that the findings of the court could be reversed on appeal. But I think the saving grace here for the city of St. Louis is that the statement of principles between the U.S. Conference of Mayors and the National Football League was expressly incorporated within the relocation policy, and that shows a much greater intent by the league to benefit the cities in, in connection with this relocation policy. There are a lot of, there are going to be a lot of appellate issues, but so much of it is bundled up in factual determinations by a jury, and factual determinations by juries are deferred to uh, by courts as long as there's sufficient evidence presented to justify the verdict. So if I'm an NFL lawyer, I'm counseling my client, settle. If it means giving them a team, give them a team. But do not walk into that lion's den where you're facing a billion-dollar-plus possibility of a damages verdict against 32 individuals that would be paid jointly and severally. That's a no-win situation, and that's a bet I would never make if I were an NFL owner unless I, would, I knew for sure I was going to be indemnified by Stanley Kroenke. Now there's that element of doubt, and once you have that element of doubt, uh, folks like John Mara are not going to want to pick up the tab of, a, of, a, of one thirty-second of a two a $3 billion verdict. They Definitely. don't have that kind right. of money to write the check. Exactly. Dan Wallach, great analysis. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it, and have a great day. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Randy. Thanks, Dan. You got, you got it. Dan Wallach, and he is Lee Landless for The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And it is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Daniel, a couple of things that I want to reiterate here. Number one, with the consternation that St. Louis is causing the NFL, what happened 
in the NFL owners meeting on Tuesday is not a surprise to St. Louis interests. They have been waiting for years for this lawsuit to become real for owners because they know that NFL owners don't want to pay. And they figured that there would be, as I was told, that the knives would come out and that there would be a fight among NFL owners. So this and isn't surprising for them? Not at all. And they aren't surprised and they've been waiting for it. Yeah. So the fact that there is now public consternation and Seth Wickersham got the information, not a surprise. The other thing that I want to reiterate, and I I tweeted this last night and uh, I've been in touch with St. Louis interests very recently. There still has not been an offer proffered by the NFL or Stan Kroenke since right when this thing got going, an offer that was what I was told laughable was made through an intermediary. And since then, since then, I can tell you definitively, the NFL has not made a settlement offer to anybody involved on the St. Louis side. So in that article, didn't it say that there was an offer? Jerry Jones claimed that. Okay, Jerry did. All right, so from the St. Louis side, they're saying no. By the way, Jeff Pash, their attorney, their legal counsel, said that as well. Yeah. Which, by the way would be legal malpractice if you're telling your clients that an offer was made and an offer has not been made that by definition i believe is legal malpractice wow yeah so it gets more interesting as uh, we go by the minute here it's huh? amazing and it's going to happen quickly i mean you start getting into the holidays and it always seems like things just mm-hmm. move rapidly and then boom you're in january right. well january's the day right i mean what is it january 10th yep. or 12th or whatever it is and right now the st louis side is working on pre-trial motions they'll be back in the courtroom in december to set things up for the the lawsuit which starts on january 10th and at this point well you'd have to think by from that yeah. from now to that point you're you're going to hear a lot about from other stuff leaking from other owners that yep. are upset and you're going to hear about potential settlements and what does that mean has to be right yeah that you would think so but it's full speed ahead for st louis towards sure. a trial you're killing me smalls dan with the lakers missing lebron james they played the worst team in the nba last night the oklahoma city thunder they were up 56 to 30. they were up by 26 in the second quarter and the lakers lost the game to the thunder 123 to 115. uh-huh i was watching a little bit of the highlights of that out of sync I mean, mm-hmm. simple things like inbound passes, uh, things off of you could see off of ball screens, guys just missing open jumpers. I'm still not counting out the Lakers. I wouldn't, but man, they're old. How do they play until May and June with that roster? Uh, that's it's valid. I mean, it's a valid point with guys that have been injured here recently mm-hmm. too. Westbrook has not looked like a uh, a fit right now. No. Now I think he will be, but you think about when he's been on the teams he's been on, he's been the primary focus or earlier in his career he was able to mesh with the big 3 that they yeah. had in Oklahoma City. You know, before it's just like, hey man, take the ball and go. Mm-hmm. Put up 25 jumpers, go for it. But that's not the case no. right now. And I think he's still that guy. That's why I don't think that he can ever be the centerpiece for a championship team. It's too much about Russell, and he's great, but 
And, and he shares the ball. He always has assists. He's always got a triple-double. Triple double, yeah. But he just doesn't seem to mesh well with other players. What if LeBron reason. is on the floor, though? Then you got two guys that are trying to do that thing. And I, LeBron I, does it at a, at a higher level. I think if he's on the floor... It's a different story. And you mentioned he didn't play last night, but they, because he controls things. He controls play, controls players, controls the team. It's just different when he's not on the floor. Yeah. And, and, is, and they have talent, clearly. Yeah. This is three years in a row now that LeBron's been hurt, too, at yeah. the age of 37. Yep. You're a lot of mileage, too, on that body. Yeah, there is. Dan, one of the guys that, as brutal as the NFL is, one of the guys that's really likable that I could be a fan of is J.J. Watt. And Adam Schefter reported yesterday that Watt is going to undergo surgery that will presumably end his season, shoulder surgery. And it's a real shame. Here he is with the Arizona Cardinals. They have a chance to do really good things. He's never been in a Super Bowl. And, man, he's had so many injuries. Yep. This could be it for him in terms of having an opportunity to win it all. Yeah, I agree. I thought this is the team that uh, if he was going to go anywhere, he was the right fit for them and he hasn't been able to stay healthy the last three years um so i'm with you I, there are certain guys you really do pull for i, I take the money out of the mm-hmm. equation they're just you, you look at it from the outside and again you don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes could be a terrible teammate probably yeah, not look what he did for houston th- that's right and but just from the outside looking in there are certain athletes that i do pull for yeah. and guys that i've covered that i've been around the cardinals or the blues or other teams and i just say you know, it's a good person. Yeah. I, you know, I I understand he's making a hundred million dollars, but still, I like how he interacts with fans. I like how he interacts with the kids. I love the fact that he's signing autographs. I like the fact he's involved in the community. JJ Watt has done all that stuff. Yeah, he's he's been great. Yep. That's your killing me, Smalls. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over towards the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> gotten a ton of response today about the lawsuit and the Seth Wickersham story and we'll talk more about it. Dan and I will be with you tomorrow morning and we'll do some mic drops. We'll do some texts tomorrow morning and Dan, I think one thing that we need to point out here is with the reporting of Seth Wickersham, which was incredible the the line of Jerry Jones that Kroenke had offered billions of dollars as a settlement to St. Louis. One of the reasons that St. Louis has Jerry Jones in the crosshairs here for fraud is that he has a tendency to lie. Yeah. And this is a perfect example in my mind. From what I understand again, what I'm given to understand, there so has your sources there's not been a and, settlement offered, right. except from a long time ago, and it was laughable. Right. And so Jerry Jones is telling the other owners that Stan Kroenke has made an offer in the billions. Jeff Pash, NFL general counsel, says, yeah, an offer has been made, and it's for a sum greater than the net worth of many people in this room. Well, if indeed that offer has been made... It's being made to another party. It's not being made to the people who are involved with the lawsuit on the St. Louis side. I think the key point in this moving forward from the article, John Mara spoke and he said that Kroenke's change in position 
was ridiculous. And this was after Kroenke had left the room. And then Jeff Pash had said to the other owners, by the way, uh, essentially, you could be on the hook with him. And he's going to make sure that you are because he's he's sick of paying for everything. And if it's awarded towards St. Louis, indemnification would include everybody. And that Kroenke was making that known to the rest of the owners. And let me just finish here. He said, um, it, Mara said the owners would not have voted for him to move. He said anyone who was in the room in Houston that day when the vote was taken would know that, that if that was the case, that if everybody's on the hook, meaning all the owners, there's no way we would have voted for this if we would have thought we would have been on the hook for everything. So that is not going to reflect well for NFL owners. And like Daniel Wallach said, if you're St. Louis and you have the opportunity to redepose John Mara with this new information, you absolutely have to do so. I think you have to, right? Right. And, and there's probably going to come out where there's other owners that are so frustrated about this might be willing to say, hey, let, I, I'll, I'll be happy to say that I didn't know about this and I didn't think I was on the hook for this no. because I don't want to pay $350 million for somebody else. And... Along those lines, the money, and the money is going to be extraordinary. By the way, if it winds up being $4 billion, that's $125 million a team for the teams that aren't the Rams or the Cowboys. But when you think about the legal costs, just the costs, if that were just the amount, right now, those $1,000-an-hour lawyers for the NFL, and not just the NFL, but every team— the teams in the NFL that aren't the Rams have averaged, averaged $10 million in legal costs so far for this case. That's $310 million right there mm-hmm. that Kroenke has to pay, even if he doesn't win any lawsuit against the rest of the owners. Can you uh, let's think about this now? So the stadium was initially in L.A. at, what, $2.5 billion? Yeah, $2.6. Okay, and it's over $6 billion now. Right. Okay. He could lose billions in this situation here. Three, four billion. Mm-hmm. So I had to pay the five hundred and fifty million dollar relocation fee. Okay, I'm throwing that in that too. I'll just okay. say that I'll keep it on the lower end. Let's say you got it. Um, so now we're talking about roughly eight to ten billion dollars to make this move when he could have just invested five hundred million dollars into a downtown mm-hmm. stadium in St. Louis on the riverfront that would have been built by the taxpayers, essentially. And would Correct. have had fans of his team. He wouldn't have had fans of other teams filling up his stadium. He had the stadium ready to go, naming rights agreed to, infrastructure agreed to, mm-hmm. and he walks away from that to go to L.A., and it could cost him now 8 to $10 billion. Now, you also have to keep into account what the value of the franchise has done. It's gone way up, mm-hmm. so that's part of it, too, but still billions more than what he clearly could have anticipated by making this move. Right. Sometimes you just have to understand that the grass isn't always greener. Yeah. And sometimes when you dive across that fence for the greener grass, there might be some poison ivy in there. <laughs> Apparently, he's going to walk away with a lot of it uh, on his legs, his knees, yeah. his chest, mm-hmm. his arms. Um, as I like to say sometimes, Randall, in this case, as you sow, so shall you reap. Yes. And that is. may be uh, what's happening here with old Enos. Yeah, that's it's fun. It's I, I'm enjoying it. I am too. Uh, I've been told by multiple people, that I sh- including my wife, that uh, when I retire, I should go to law school because I'm so engrossed here. <laughs> and I love it. You know what you should do? You should go back through all your notes and write a book about this. I could do that. I've got a lot of notes. Yeah. So I'm sure you do. Of- you've kept all that, haven't you? Yeah, I've got it in my computer. Yeah, it's great. Um, 
Oh, somebody was asking me. I don't know if you probably have it off the top of your head, but when I said that I would, when I go to another city and I rattle off what Randy had done in terms of losing seasons, attendance, uh, going against a Cardinal playoff game. <clears throat> I mean, they're incredible numbers. Yeah. Do you have those off the top of your head? Let me give you three quick ones. The St. Louis Rams sold out every single home game until they started 0-8 in 2007. From 1995 to 2007, sold out every single home game. On January 1st, 2012, last game of a league worst, history-making 15-65 and 65 run. So the Rams are 15-64 and 64 coming into this game against the 13-2 San Francisco 49ers. They are 2-13 and 13 on the season. It's noon on New Year's Day. People have a tendency to stay up late on New Year's Eve. It's noon on New Year's Day, and the St. Louis Rams drew 55,000. Again, 15-64, and 2 and 13 in a game that you were guaranteed to lose and they drew 55,000. And the other one, Dan, that I think is fun is that between 1995 and 2015, the, the years that the Rams were in St. Louis, they played on the same date at home as the St. Louis Cardinals 21 times. Now, the Rams said in their relocation agreement that St. Louis only cared about the Cardinals. They didn't care about the Rams. Guess how many times out of those 21 the Rams outdrew the Cardinals. This is according to the Rams media guide attendance figures. How many times do you think out of the 21 that the Rams outdrew the Cardinals? Maybe half? Half the time, maybe? Quarter of the and time? And you're going against a lot of playoff games. You're going against, including Game 5 of the 2013 World Series. Every Single time, 100% of the time, 21 out of 21, the Rams outdrew the Cardinals when they played in St. Louis on the same date. And there was only one time where they weren't head to head. The the one time that they weren't head to head was game three of the playoff series against the Mets in 2015, or maybe it was was game one. I'm not sure. But a Sunday night Cardinals-Mets playoff game, and the Card- the Rams had played earlier that day, drew 66,000. It's amazing. It's phenomenal. It is. All right. I mean, it's a great sports town. They will support it. It's, yep. it's just, it's that simple. Yep. You have BK coming up to yes. join you next. What do you got coming on the show? Uh, Daniel Descalso will be one of our guests. Decal. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of Cardinals in the Arizona Fall League that are having success. We'll get into that and talk about uh, Game 2 of the World Series. It went to Houston last night. Thank you. This was fun. We'll do it again tomorrow morning. You do a great job, Randall. See you tomorrow. Thank you. Emily Butcher, thank you. Thank you. To our producer and engineer, Emily. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being part of this show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the College Football Playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at betonline as well.
And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.